Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I'm not your host today. Today, my girlfriend Natalie is going to be hosting the show, and I'm the guest. And on today's episode, we are continuing episode 169 with part three, which is an Ask Me Anything with me. And I've wrangled my girlfriend Natalie into asking your questions on your behalf. So I have someone to talk to and not just an empty room. And I just want to right off the bat, just express my appreciation and gratitude towards her for spending her, uh, <laughs> we, we were ultimately on that microphone for about five, five and a half hours when I told her it was originally going to be like an hour and a half. So, um, so it turned out to be a lot bigger of an ass than I realized. So I really appreciate uh, her being willing to do this and letting me wrangle her into helping me produce this episode. I think she did a great job, and I think that you'll agree it's a lot more entertaining to have someone to talk to versus just listening to me read your questions and then answer them as well. So just for context for today's episode, Natalie and I originally sat down to record this episode and it started with the awards and a look back and a look forward. And that was part one of this episode. And then we pick up with our conversation here on this episode at part three. And this episode, actually, because it was so long, uh, she had a work Christmas party to go to and we uh, she was late getting there. So we were kind of rushed for time and cut this episode off, but then picked up several days later to record the final part of it. I just mentioned that because we record in a couple of different locations and the audio quality changes slightly and maybe no one will even notice. But um, regardless, that's what we have for you today. You asked a ton of questions and I answered as many of them as I could. And I unfortunately wasn't able to get to all of them, but I really appreciate everyone's questions and I hope we tackled the main ones. We really tried to focus on the ones that were asked by multiple people. Um, so we knew that those were of a higher priority or had the highest interest in them. And uh, I had a lot of fun answering your questions. I have to admit, I'm much more comfortable on the other side of the microphone rather than being the person in the hot seat, but I think it's good for me. I think it's good for me to get a taste of what it's like to be a guest and be able to also learn and grow from that experience. So we broke up today's questions in a few different categories to hopefully make it a little bit more easily ingestible. So we're going to start with the event category. We got a lot of questions about those. And then we're going to ask answer questions about the podcast and things that are podcast relevant. We have a brief conversation about gear. And then we close out today's episode with more personalized questions towards me about me and my life. Uh, some of the behind the scenes stuff. And then we close out the show. Admittedly, brevity has never been my strong suit. So this episode is a lengthy one. So saddle up or buckle up. But no matter what you do, get comfortable, settle in, and join Natalie and I as we answer your questions. But before we do, let's take a moment to thank the people that made this episode possible and starting with me, me and Natalie. No ads today, no housekeeping. We're going to make it short and sweet. This is a freebie. I hope you enjoy it. But before we get to today's episode, let's have Miles Arbor kick it off with the Bikes for Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. Your 
could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. Alright, Natalie, it's almost your turn to ask me questions, but before you do, I have a few for you. Okay. Just as an icebreaker. So, Natalie, you've been on the podcast before, but we really didn't get a proper introduction to you. So, let's introduce you to the audience. Do you know that we've been dating for 20 months? Do I know that? I wasn't counting the months. I was actually counting the days. <laughs> so, so how many days is that? Oh, um, I'm going to think of it in a minute. Yeah, I have it written down somewhere. <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> I didn't know either. I counted on the way here, but longer than I thought. Yeah, yeah it's, it's been a while. It's gone, gone by pretty quick. But who is this masked woman that I've been dating for 20 months in the background? You've been on the podcast before. And uh, so I thought, since this episode is mostly about me and you're a part of my life, let's ask you some questions. First question is, what do you do for a living? Wow, I didn't know I was gonna be in the hot seat on this episode. This is the part that I told you, like when you put a microphone in front of me and then you ask me questions, this is where I fall apart and I forget how to speak English. It's almost like- <laughs> You can do like, it in Spanish if you want. <laughs> it's almost like you during an armed robbery attempt. I'm like, actually, I just forgot how to speak my own language. <laughs> actually, I'm not sure what language I speak. Oh my gosh. <laughs> can that's you a, repeat the question? <laughs> that's a great reference that we'll have to explain at some point that no one's gonna get. <laughs> Okay, um, what do I do for a living? I'm a social worker. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, um, and I work in a local hospital in the emergency department specifically. I work in a level two trauma center um, in Central Texas. Yeah, your job is kind of crazy to be honest, and we could do an we could do an entire podcast, not an episode, but a we series. could we could, yeah, do we could do a series, an entire podcast yeah. on your job, like what you do for a living is it doesn't make sense, yeah. you know, like it doesn't make sense that there are people in this world that are exposed to as much trauma as you are. And like, we often think about like firemen or fire people and uh, <laughs> fire people. yeah, fire people, <laughs> fire persons and police persons as well. But like they only get in the violence some of the times, like your job, all of the, all of it, it's a hundred percent violence, sadness, yeah. addiction, yeah. sadness, <laughs> tragedy, <laughs> yeah. murder. Chaos. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. Yeah. And I mean, I don't, yeah, again, we could do an entire episode about that, but I do have a lot of respect for you for the emotional maturity that you have to be able to like handle what you do. And part of the reason why I bring that up is because let's talk about how you recreate and why you recreate and how uh, specifically, let's start here. I wanna give you a chance to clear the air. 
Did you get into bikes because of me? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that, though. You're welcome. Um, because I'm sure the world might see it that way. Because I was new-ish into bikes whenever you and I met, and I definitely have escalated what I'm doing during the time that we've been dating. But, I mean, I've ridden bikes since I was a little kid, too. Um, just like most people that grew up in the 90s, I rode bikes to all my friends' house. I rode bikes um, back and forth between my mom and my dad's house. I rode bikes across town. I was, you know, I grew up riding bikes. Um, I stopped for several years in young adulthood. And then in the year or two before you and I met, um, I was just kind of rediscovering finding joy on a bike and that was because of COVID that was because I couldn't travel anymore and so um, couldn't really travel by plane anymore a lot of countries were closed down and so it's like how can I recreate outside here in central Texas there's no ocean I am landlocked <laughs> and uh, so I was getting back into gravel cycling I had just bought a nice gravel bike and was starting to kind of try to figure that out and um, was really loving it and enjoying it. And then you came along and we started doing a lot more of it. Yeah, I definitely did want to give you an opportunity to clear the air because I think optics from the outside, people might be like, oh, she's dating bike guys. So now she's into bikes. And I, I threw some gasoline on a fire that was already lit. Um, but I actually clicked. I mean, we've talked about this, but I clicked on your uh, dating app profile because I saw your bike rig and i was into it i was like look at those bags on that bike yeah i, I want to talk to him thank you bikes for death <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah when we met that was pretty neat because you independently were at the point in your cycling quote unquote career where you were like you got the bike, you knew you were interested in cycling, you had already learned about bike packing, you were already educating yourself about routes and I was researching bags, I was researching clothes, I was I was learning. I wasn't riding that far or that long, but I, I had big dreams. I was researching bike packing trips. Yeah. So now I come into the picture and I, you know, of course, I'm a cyclist. I'm a podcaster. Well, being a podcaster doesn't have anything to do with it, but being a cyclist and a bike packer um, and just having the information, I can be like, oh, well, you want to do this. This is the step forward. And it's, you know, a little bit easier for me to identify those steps. How have you found bike packing and cycling? I mean, everybody gets into it, obviously, because they think they're going to like it. How have you found it? How have I found it to be? Like, yeah, what's have you my, found it to be? I'd right. say 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10? <laughs> um, I really love it. I knew that I would love it. Um, I do have to say that the ocean will always be my first and greatest love. Um, so I'm never going to lie and say it will ever be my favorite sport that's closest to my heart. But um, I do live in Central Texas. I am stuck in central Texas because I have a daughter here and my support system is here and I don't live by an ocean. So it's not like I'm surfing every weekend. Um, so under the circumstances that I'm in, and I think for the rest of my life, I, I really like riding my bike. As you get older, your knees don't like running as much anymore. At least that's what I've found. Um, cardio has always helped me with my mental health tremendously. How do you get cardio when you can't run anymore? 
consistently, cycling is a really good way to do it. Swimming is too, but nobody wants to do that. Yeah, I would rather be on a board. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. on something. Yeah. What has been your favorite bike ride or bike trip that you've been on so far? Ooh, I didn't know you were gonna ask me. I wish you would have told me you were gonna ask me these questions ahead of time so I could think of them. Only I get that benefit. All the questions you're going to ask me, I've already got. You already read them. (laughs) You sent them to me. I have a distinct uh, and clear unfair advantage. Yeah. Okay. Now I have to think of all my all the rides that we've been on. So we did the rando. We did. You know what I think my favorite was was when we went out to. why am I blanking on? It's Central Texas. It's hill red dirt. The Hill Country. We went out to the Hill Country. It was just an overnighter. I think that that one was my favorite because was that the first overnighter that we did together? Yeah. yeah. That was the first overnighter that we did together and maybe my first overnighter by bike ever, mm-hmm. I think. That was yeah. your first bikepacking trip. Yeah, yeah, that was my first bikepacking overnighter with my new tent. Um, I love that part of Texas the red dirt the cactus the pink granite the rocks like it's beautiful out there that's the kind of, that's is it in is that the enchanted rock area am i getting confused it's close ish okay it reminds me of the areas where yeah, i used to go it's all the hill country it's the hill country yeah it's the hill country yeah i used to go to enchanted rock growing up with my family and we would go camping out there and it reminds me it's that landscape and so it feels like texas it feels like home um and i feel at home out there it's really beautiful and so first overnighter it was super super fun we had a great time we had great chats the weather was perfect everything was beautiful I got like five flat tires in a row (laughs) (laughs) and we ended up hitchhiking to get back to where we had parked our cars, but it was great. I mean, that was, that was a really fun ride. It was. I have fond memories of that one too. It was my first uh, single speed bikepacking trip. Oh yeah. 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 So I figured I'm like, if you're doing your first, I'll like take away all my gears and try to level it out. And and (laughs) it was, it was a really good time. I'm glad we did. All right. Last question. What you touched on it but what is your biggest passion in life and if you were going to start a podcast what would it be about Ooh, are we talking sports i mean this is such a big question i think we're talking sports yeah yeah okay um (laughs) so i don't want anybody to get the wrong impression that i'm good at this because i'm not but i really love surfing and i love surfing because i love being in the water um i love being in the ocean i love the pacific i have never felt more at peace uh more joy more presence than i feel uh, when i'm at in on and around the ocean And one way that I've found to engage with that particular uh, piece of nature has been to get on a board and figure out how to read when the waves are coming and when to paddle into them and how to get in there and become a part of them. And uh, the flow of it all, it's just for me, I mean, it's like it's meditative and it's fucking scary and it's exciting and it's... uh, yeah, I love surfing and I suck at it. I like a big board and I like little waves and <laughs> I like warm water and I like to not be around a lot of people so I don't break everybody's fucking boards. And <laughs> uh, that's 
that will always be what I gravitate towards. Yeah. Uh, Surf or death. Yeah. The podcast. Oh, that's my podcast. Yeah. yeah. Are you going to sue me though? Like that's no, pretty I'll, similar. I won't sue you. Yeah. Plus, yeah. If I tattoo it on my arm, it'll be official. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just tattoo it on your arm and that way I can't do anything yeah, about it. Yeah, it'll be patented. It'll be patented. Yeah. And so uh, the reason uh, why I've been surfing lately, it's completely your fault. I don't want to be there. <laughs> it is hard. It is scary. I cannot overemphasize like how difficult surfing is. Like I consider myself to be fairly athletic, fairly competent uh, in most sports. I grew up skateboarding. Um, so I thought I had some familiarity with being on a board or whatever. The ocean and surfing is a completely different thing. One hour of surfing is like 10 hours on a bike or something. I mean, it's just, I was trying to think of like the metric when I was on my ride a couple days ago. But the idea of going on like a, a week long bike trip sounds so much easier and more relaxing than a five day surf trip. And in that five days, you're only going to be on the water for five hours. Like it's just an hour, hour and a half out of your day and then it's over. But it is so intense. It is so full on. It is so hard. It is yeah. so scary. It can be brutal. It, and yeah, I still have a bruise on my ass. I'm bruised all over. I know. Well, I, I don't know it. that, but I'll check later. <laughs> But yeah, like I, I was put on my clothes, like getting ready to come over here. And I like, I still have a bruise on my ass and it's just from like slamming into a wave or my board slamming into me or something. I don't even know what happened. But anyway, that's why I've been surfing lately. And I think, I guess to tie a bow on it, I think one of the great things about our relationship is that we both have a unquenchable desire and passion for travel for new places and to live an adventurous life. And while my passion in life is bikes, and that is the modality by which I like to experience the world, your biggest passion is through surfing, but we both just wanna be outside. We both just wanna yeah. be seeing new places. We wanna be using our bodies. We wanna feel alive, all of the things, right? And so that's where we really, uh, we really like coalesce and like come together and I can, yeah, put me on a fucking surfboard, put me on a horse, put me on a, you know, I'll go trail <laughs> running. I'll climb a mountain. I don't put me outside, Absolutely. show me new places. Yes. I got to go. I got to see, I got to do. And that's yes. what has always driven me. I just happen to be pretty obsessed with bikes. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Fair. You have a podcast about it. I can't. I'm kind of locked in. You're in. <laughs> Even not, if you stopped liking bikes right now, I mean, you just. I'd rebrand as adventure or death, <laughs> travel or death. Something. How do you get a cover up on that tattoo? What does that look like? I keep it. Yeah, you just keep as it. As that chapter in my life, you know, like it was an important chapter, but it's behind me now. I just talked about how no one's going to derail bikes or death and how it's going to be mine forever. And then but you come if you along. sell out, maybe you don't sell out to advertisers. You sell out to the surfing community. Maybe your podcast just like slowly transitions into like bike surf trips. Maybe. And then it's like that one was just a surf trip. What? And maybe it was a one off. <laughs> and then it's just like people don't even realize we that now them. they're listening to a surfing podcast. You just gave away the entire plan. <laughs> the That's other the 2025 plan. The other element and this the other factor here is you still gotta turn me into a surfer, which hasn't happened yet. <laughs> I have gone surfing with you. 
but it is not easy. I'm still trying to wrap my head around all of that. So we we got a long road ahead of us before we're That's turning back. That's why I said by... 2025. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we got time. All right. Well, all right. I'm ready. I'm warmed up now. Okay. Now the audience knows who's asking these questions. And okay. they feel good about it. And they're ready to hear from me. I can tell. All right, let's do this. Patrick Farnsworth, welcome to the Bikes or Death podcast. Oh, it's great to be here. Uh, welcome to my studio. It needs to be raked and mowed, but it's what I'm working with today. I like it. I've interviewed in worse. Yeah, okay. When I interviewed uh, Ultra Romance, uh, we interviewed in a storage container, like a metal storage container that's eight feet by 10 feet or something like that, which was kind of fun, but... This is definitely better. The sun is shining. It's a beautiful day. We're on your back porch where we've shared uh, many a beer and many a conversation. The only thing that changes this time is we're going to record it. Yeah, but these speakers aren't even here, remember? This what? is just us chatting. Well, they're microphones. <laughs> 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 the speakers aren't here. <laughs> exactly. That's what I was saying. Yeah, you nailed it. Nailed it. Look, I have dyslexia. You don't know what recording equipment is. <laughs> Good. All right. Let's get into this. Let's do it. The first category is rides and places. Question number one. You received a lot of questions. Oh, okay. Hold on. <laughs> you can edit that out. I will. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, the first category is rides and places. So you received a lot of questions from listeners about when you're going to come here, this place, that place, et cetera. When are you going to come to my hometown? When are you going to come to my state? Uh, what do you have to say to the people that want to see Bikes or Death come to their area? Great question, Natalie. So well asked. This is so much better than me reading it to myself. I like this. It's a good question. I do get this question a lot, whether it's you know formally through this or just Instagram, email, whatever. The answer is yes, I want to go. I just got done saying how I can't sit still. I have a deep interest in Patrick, passion, Patrick, <laughs> passion in, in seeing the world, like, and meeting people. And I fucking love this shit. So the answer is yes. The question is always, how do I pay for it? And I'm, I'm a creative guy. I like to get creative. If somebody wants me to come to Wisconsin, I went up to Wisconsin and covered a bike race. I mean, they helped me financially with that, but like, I gotta figure out a way to make it make sense from a financial perspective. That is just as plain as I can make it. And unfortunately, I wish I was endlessly rich. I could just go wherever I wanted to all the time. But I would like to see Bikes for Death do more community outreach in terms of meeting people where they are in their homes. That means through doing live podcast recordings, like I mentioned earlier, and also taking events. So, I mean, this year I mentioned, hey, I wanna take a live recording to Santa Fe, New Mexico. I wanna do a live recording in the Denver, Colorado area. Um, we wanna take one of our events to Arkansas and, and do a summit series in Arkansas. So I'm already gravitating that way. And, you know, the thing with Ozark, uh, Arkansas is like, Andrew just texts me. It's like, hey, man, you want to collab on something? Yeah, the answer is yes. So with me, the answer is almost always yes. It's just like, let's figure out how to make it work. Okay. So yes. Yes is what I'm hearing. Yep. It's happening. And we're, yeah, I'm already going. I'm already doing. And if someone, like, 
I was just on another podcast recently from Poland and he's trying to figure out a way to get me to come to Poland. I'm like, great. Yeah, let's do that. You know, it doesn't have to be just in America. I will go anywhere and I want to go. I'd love to cover like just an idea. Like if uh, Neil's, uh, whatever his last name is, that runs the uh, Silk Road mountain bike race was ever like, hey, I'd love for Bikes for Death to come out and cover Silk Road. I would love to do that. Let's figure out how to make that happen. I'm open to anything. I want to do it. It's just a matter of figuring out how. Hey, Neil, whatever your name is, uh, Patrick would like to come and cover the Silk Road Mountain Race. And he wants to bring his cute his assistant. His answer is yes. He wants to bring his cute assistant with well, him. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's just figure out how to make it happen. I think that's what I'm hearing. Yep. It's a yes. It's a yes. Okay. Um, so this is a good, I mean, speaking of where you're going to go and saying yes, what areas uh, geographically are you interested in? Uh, all of them. But let me get more succinct. Uh, the The real answer is I will go anywhere and I'm interested in going everywhere. There are places that I'm more interested in. The first one is Latin America. And I'm going to give the credit to Natalie, you, the person sitting across from me right now, but the audience can't see you. When we first met, I mean, that's, we didn't touch on it, but I mean, surfing is a big passion of yours. I guess I did say travel. We're both like super into travel and you specifically were, you're a very accomplished international traveler um, all over the world. And you were the person that really opened my eyes to the world being a lot bigger than the United States, right? Like I was really living with a fairly narrow worldview and you you and I have talked about a lot like the way I was raised and, and, and the ways that that contributed to my narrow worldview and save that for another podcast maybe one day but I just was so narrow-minded really whenever it came to traveling like it was just always something that's like yeah I want to do it I definitely want to go to Europe I want to go to Mexico want to go to Canada like Australia like whatever but I never like prioritized it I never made it a real priority and I always took low hanging fruit and, and did easier trips in America. And so I could talk a lot about travel, but um, I have to give Natalie credit for introducing me to Latin America. And that introduction has been a life perspective shifting type experience in my life, getting into other people's cultures, seeing how other people live seeing how they live with less and they seem to be happier or, you know, whatever it may be, or just perspective is always important in all things in life. And in America, we, we are exposed to essentially one, uh, one way of living, one community, one culture. Of course, America is a huge melting pot, so it's kind of hard to say, but it's still America. Like everybody speaks English. Uh, I know there's always going to be a McDonald's on the corner. There's always going to be a Starbucks. You know how all the roads work. You know, it's like everything is coming a little bit easy if you're an American living in America. You go into another country and you realize what it's like to to not have the world catering to you, so to speak, not have the world set up in a way that makes sense to you and is catered to you, as I said. So I don't know, man, it's, it's such a big topic, but Latin America has absolutely shifted my perspective in life. And I could create a whole new podcast talking about that. So my interest lies heavily in continuing to go back to Latin America to the extent that I, I talk with Natalie quite a bit about maybe moving there one day. 
or maybe not moving there together. Sorry, that kind of came out poorly, but it's not off the radar that I would like to spend a considerable amount of time in my life in Latin America, maybe part-time, maybe full-time. I don't really know. Like you, I'm raising daughters in Texas, so these are all just hopes and dreams. But I do love Latin America, and I'm in. I'm very interested in going back and experiencing that culture for the rest of my life. Absolutely, yeah. I'll never stop going back to Latin America. That's um, the biggest love for me when it comes to international travel. But uh, you know, you started traveling internationally something like a year ago, and you've got your passport and you've been to Latin America a number of times now. Uh, there's a whole big world out there. For the record, uh, we just got back from El Salvador and that was our fourth international trip in a year. Yeah. So yeah, we've been to Oaxaca twice, Oaxaca, Mexico twice, Costa Rica uh, once and El Salvador. We just got back from there and we're already planning our next bikepacking trip to Oaxaca uh, for next year. So yeah. Viva la Mexico. <laughs> so I don't know if I should ask you this question or if you just answered it. Um, so I'm just going to throw it out there and okay. you can do what you want with it. it uh, this question is, if you could travel anywhere, where would that be? I'll, I'll elaborate on it. Um, Latin America is, is first because of the people, the culture, the food, the art, the everything. Also, it's easily accessible to mm-hmm. us. The plane tickets are relatively cheap. It's a three-hour plane ride to mm-hmm. get to where you want to be, and then you're there. And Direct so, flights, usually. Uh, and then the cost of living when you're there is super cheap. So you can, it's just like, get a cheap plane ticket, and you can live like a king in Mexico for not a lot of money, right? So that's very appealing from a logistical standpoint as well. Yeah. The other thing that you and I are talking about doing is a trip to Europe at some point and doing like a proper bike tour and... I'm regurgitating what you've told me at this point, but like, I agree with you. Part of what I'm interested in doing when I go to Europe is to see what that system and that society and that culture is like and how polar opposite it is from Latin America. And also like get a better perspective on how America fits into the cultural landscape. Um, Obviously, Europe has a much different political system and economy, and uh, you know it's it's a whole it's a different system. It's a different world, mm-hmm. and I'm curious to see what that's like. I want to go ride in a place where it feels safe, where there's good food and good coffee and good views, like everywhere you look. And what we've talked about is a proper bike tour, like a legit bike tour maybe only 30 or 40 miles a day, like not even crazy, just like go and yeah. like enjoy it, see the country, see the food or eat the food, see the sights, meet the people and experience at least a portion of Europe by bike. Yeah, I think a part of what's so awesome to see is how people, how are people doing life well? How are people doing societies well? And there's so much to be learned and so much to gain from Latin America. Um, and in a different way, there's so much to be gained from experiencing, um, especially, you know, Northwestern, the Northern Western part, all of Europe, but, um, you know, how are they structuring their society in a way that serves people well? And how can we, what can we learn from that? And um, it's, 
Yeah, and like we talked about, the other thing about doing a bike trip in Europe, um, in certain parts of it anyway, is that more so than in the U.S. even, um, you're vulnerable when you're on a bike. And so I do kind of want to be in a safe place. You know, you're vulnerable when it's your bike and your body. And so doing a bike trip in Europe feels accessible. It feels safe. I like it. Yeah. I I think we should do it. I think we will. Yeah. Knowing us, I think we will. We don't just talk about it. We do it. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty easily, actually. (laughs) And I mean, the infrastructure, man, like, oh my God, they respect that people ride bikes for transportation, for fun, for sport. Like the infrastructure is there. The respect is there. The traffic patterns are there. Right. it's it's a different experience than what we're experiencing here and i don't even know what that's like like i can say the words i can hear you say them but it's the same thing as going to latin america it's like yeah they're our neighbor and i know all about them and uh, we have a a a large hispanic population in in texas and in america and so like i have a lot of friends that are hispanic but it's like it's one thing to know it and it's just different to know it to go to feel it to see it to experience it and to internalize like what that is and put it in a framework in your own life. And that's what I, I, I get these days. That's what I'm getting so much out of travel where it used to be just beautiful places and hanging out with cool people, which is amazing. Travel is now helping educate my worldview, you know, like understanding where I fit into the world, where America fits into it, seeing what's good, what's bad, what could be improved, who's doing it right, who's doing it wrong. What is it like to ride in a country when people actually respect cyclists and like they're probably all cyclists and it's not looked at as being demonized and you're not looking over your shoulder waiting for Dodge Trek Ram guy to like end your life. I was just on social media right before this. My friend Dave, uh, Dave Rich, uh, apparently was in a hit and run by a Tesla, got hit by a Tesla out of all, all cars. So not even the Dodge Ram guy, but the Tesla guy. And uh, there was no probable cause. Like, anyway, it's a whole long story. I might actually try to get him on the podcast, but like, that is the reality. That's what we're dealing with as cyclists in America. I mean, we had Jay Petterberry, Peterberry come on the podcast and he got hit in broad daylight and open roads and safety matters. Like we, I think everybody values their life, you know, Hopefully, yeah. and if you don't, please call the suicide hotline right now. Nine eight eight. Text or call. <laughs> I was about to ask you. You actually know what it is. Yeah, the nine eight eight text or they call. They just changed it to nine eight eight. It used to be a one eight hundred number, but they wanted to make it easier and simpler for people. And nine eight eight is easier to remember when you're in crisis. That's so smart because I was about to ask you what the 800 number is because I mm-hmm. knew you would know it, but I didn't even know they'd switch. So there you go. Yeah. If you're not valuing your life right now, I value you and I want you to dial 988. Text or call. <laughs> uh, but yeah, safety, all those things. So yeah. yeah, travel, travel, travel. My brother just told me last night about uh, this guy that made, I guess, a YouTube series about he went around the world and he went through all of the Middle East, all of Asia, all of Europe, all of the Americas, North and South America, Mexico. And um, he said that of all the places that this guy went across the entire world, he never ran into a single issue until he got to Louisiana. And in Louisiana, he was mugged and hit by a car in the same day. Oh shit. Yeah. 
and by different people like separate by different inc- people separate incidents in the same day in the same day yeah so i mean it's like I want to go to Europe to bite pack because it's fucking safer than this place. <laughs> like we don't have we don't have space for our bikes here. Like, you know, we were talking about our Oaxaca. I was talking about our Oaxaca trip with my brother last night, and I was talking about like, you know, it's Mexico, so you want to be where you want to be at nighttime. You want to be safe. You want to be thoughtful. But I was saying like I wouldn't ride by myself at nighttime in most parts of the U.S. You know, like for so many reasons, not just because of the potential for crime, but because of traffic patterns and because of lack of infrastructure for bikes. I mean, anyway, I don't even know why we're on this tangent, but <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're just getting ourselves excited about going to Europe. Oh yeah. We're going to Europe. Okay. Um, next question from your listeners, what rides slash trips are you planning for the future? Well, we've kind of touched on these, um, I guess we haven't touched on all of them. We are we are working on a bikepacking trip to Oaxaca. That's happening. And we're working on those plans actually this week to, well, maybe not finalize them. But, you know, these trips take a lot of time. So we're starting now and planning something for like fall of 2024. But with more immediacy, at the beginning of the year, you and I are doing Mid-South. So that's taking place like in March, I think, is when Mid-South is. Then the weekend after that, I'm running East Texas Showdown. And then the weekend after that, I'm going to Ozark to d- ride the Despair route. So there's the Doom, which is the 400, and the, the Despair, which is the 200. So I'm gonna go ride that. And then and then I do the AZT? April, yeah. Yeah, and then I do the AZT after that. Yeah, I'm trying to keep it all straight in my brain. I can't. And then in the middle of the, all that, you have some bikepacking basics. You have some community group rides. Yeah, it's freaking crazy. You got some stuff going on. <laughs> this year is going to be full on. Yeah. Bikesordeath.com for the answer to this question. Because <laughs> Patrick can't keep it all together right now. I literally, I can't keep my life together. There's way too many moving parts. Yeah, and then I go out to Tour Divide to cover the end of the Tour Divide again. This year, I'm trying to ride more, and I think we're going to talk about this a little bit later, so I'll table that, but I am trying to ride more, and those are some of the rides that I'm doing. Okay. Uh, What is... I don't know if this question means, like, what is your favorite bike ride that you have done, that you want to do, that you like? I don't know. The question is, what is Patrick's favorite bike ride? Yeah, I was stumped by that one, too, because I don't know uh, how to answer that exactly. I think you answer it any way you want to. Yeah, I'm I'm going to. I was thinking about like maybe bike rides that I had done this year, like looking back on this year, like what are some bike rides that really stand out to me? One of them was our Hill Country Overnighter, that bikepacking trip that we went on. It was special because it was our first like bikepacking trip together, which was really nice. Like in addition to that, I genuinely love introducing people to bikepacking and the outdoors. Like I used to be a Boy Scout leader when I was in my early twenties. I've always gravitated towards wanting to be a person that helps people access the outdoors and helps gain a, a personal appreciation, understanding for the outdoors. I don't think I did that for you. I think you already had it, but just in general, it's something I'm passionate about doing. But that trip was fun because we had perfect weather, perfect company, great conversation, everything went well. And then 
on the last day we had a little bit of adventure where you alluded to how we i think you had like six flats in your tire and i mean we we utilize every resource that we had all of our tubes all of our patches all of our sealant and all other of our people's air, tubes and other people's and yeah, that's other true. people's co2 <laughs> that's true that happened thank yeah. you to random strangers out there riding maxwell's route yeah uh so i mean you know and i like that i always say on the podcast adventure starts when things go wrong and when things go wrong is when you really get to find out how you're going to handle something. It's a lot easier when everything's going exactly how you think it's going to go. You're like, yeah, I planned for this, but how are you going to handle it? And how are you going to react when things don't go well? And that was one moment where I saw that we interact well when things are not going well, not going according to plan, literally stranded in the middle of central Texas hill country uh, without a way to get back to the car other than potentially walking. And you and I laughed the entire time. We kept a positive attitude and we ultimately flagged down a truck and got a, a ride. We hitched a ride in the back of some fucking drunk redneck <laughs> without a tailgate going way too fast down country roads. And yeah. we're like, are we going to live through this experience or not? Um, we put our helmets back. We on. put our helmets back on in the back of the truck. We did. Truck. So like, like actually. <laughs> That that was a great trip because it was like it was just a nice everything, right? Good weather, good company. You were bike packing for the first time. Things were going well, um, and then when things didn't go well, we handled it well, and we came away with good stories. And so, you know, good backpacking, good weather, good company, and a little bit of adventure. That yeah. sounds like a good a good bike packing trip. So I enjoyed that one. To name just a couple others real quick, the Bikepacking Basics, the group ride, the beginner clinic and group ride, love that ride. Again, I love introducing people to the outdoors. It went so well. We had a great group that turned out, and that's just fun. That's just a good time. Um, The other one that stands out to me uh, is I really... The Central Texas Showdown route was fun until it wasn't. You know, like whenever I attempted that with Ariel, we were having a good time. And even when we dropped out, we still had a good time. You know, I, I have a bit of a chip on my shoulder and like a lot of revenge that I want towards that course, but I'm able to like look past that now. And, you know, just going and riding bikes with your buddy Ariel, you know, and like taking on a, a big challenge, 475 miles on a route that I created. And again, even when things went poorly, we kept a great attitude, you know? We just, we did the best that we could with what we had when things went bad. And yeah, yay bikes, man. I just, I love it all. Success, failure, a little bit of adventure. Yeah, I like it all. I don't know if I answered the question, but those are some bike rides from this past year that like stand out to me that I enjoyed. And those I got, are good ones. I, I th- took something away from each of those. I think one of the most fun parts of that last ride was your girlfriend driving like something like eight hours round trip one morning. Yeah. Um, getting to hop in her car somewhere near Mexico. I don't even fucking know where I drove to. That was good. That was fun. Yep. One of the other benefits of dating me is every once in a while you might get a call. Every Uh, once in a while you might have to get up at five in the morning and just drive to you might wherever that was, but you get a boyfriend that'll go surfing with you. Yeah. 
So pros and cons, and I'll save your life in an armed mugging. <laughs> yeah, that's the big pro. <laughs> that's the big pro. I will disarm an armed gunman for you. I actually owe you uh, more than a few pickups, actually. So if you need a ride from the AZT, I'm around. Man. Uh, I've got that on recording, so you're in trouble now. <laughs> you just need to disarm a few more armed gunmen, though. To no, keep I've already coming. already did one. I've already earned this. <laughs> All right, are we transitioning to events? Yeah, let's transition. Okay, so next topic is events. The first question under events is: What is the next quote-unquote undiscovered event? Fuck if I know. It's undiscovered. <laughs> And if I had thought about it, I'm going to take that event. I'm going to make it amazing. I don't know. There's a lot of questions on events. That one's hard to answer. Obviously, I'm not sure what the next undiscovered event is. But I think we have some other questions that I'll answer and then encapsulate that one. So let's move on for time. Yeah, moving on. If you could create a bike packing slash ultra race anywhere, not just Texas, where would it be? Fuck anywhere, man. Uh, I, people don't know me. I'm not like, I, you know, for example, when you and I went to Costa Rica and we hung out with Falcon, he pitched me this idea of doing this banana bike ride where um, you fly into Costa Rica, you have to buy a banana bike off of Craigslist or whatever when you get there just from a local bike shop. You can't spend more than $100 and then you gotta fix that bike up and then you gotta ride it all around Costa Rica. That's yes. an, that, that is an idea that might happen. That's not off the table. Hell yeah. I was hoping you would bring that one up. <laughs> yes. But that's how I work. That's how I operate. I'm going to say yes. I'm, a, I'm in Costa Rica. I'm talking to Falcon. He has an idea. I say, great. Let's do that. Let me promote it. Let me put Bikes or Death organization on it. You come up with the route. I'll invite the people and we'll do this event. You know, and so where... Here's what I would like to say about where. I would like to create more events in more places. I would like to create events in international locations. What that takes is a partner in those locations. Mm -hmm. If somebody wants me to come to Slovakia and run an event there, uh, pitch me an idea and let's talk about how we can make that happen. I happen to have a little bit of an audience. I happen to have a reputation for putting on events. And so if somebody wants, you know, has a good route, a good idea for an event, and they'd like to partner with me to put that on, I'm interested. I'm also interested in me on my own discovering routes, event ideas in other locations and doing it independently of any other assistance. However, having help always makes things easier and faster. Um, so I want to do it everywhere. There's not a specific place that's really standing out to me, but I do have a real interest in expanding events to anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere. So if you're interested in partnering up with bikes or death, reach out to Patrick and let's get some worldwide events going. Where do you want? Yeah. I feel like you're, you're like self, uh, self-interested in, in anybody in uh, any Pacific surf towns interested in getting a bike race. There we going. go. There we go. Yeah. Hello, Porto Escondido. <laughs> <laughs> We're looking at you, Porto. We're looking at you. <laughs> okay. 
Um, next question. Do you have any advice for people who would like to organize a bike packing event? Yes, I do. And I'll bring in the other question to this one as well. Like what's the next undiscovered event? What has served me well, both in creating the podcast and in creating events is following my heart as cheesy as that might sound. In both instances, I looked at the market or whatever and said, what can I bring to the table? What kind of podcast would I want to listen to? What kind of event would I want to go to? And then I made that, I did that. And so like, I think the best way to be successful is to identify what gets you excited? What event doesn't exist that you wish did? And how can you make it cool in your own hometown, right? Like that's the secret ingredient, right? Like anybody mm -hmm. can throw a route on a map and invite people to come. I think the things that are sticky, the things that gain, gain traction are born from people who are doing it out of great passion and looking for a way to not, not, and copying isn't bad, right? Invitation is the greatest form of flattery and we're all building on somebody else's ideas. So true authenticity is extremely hard to come by, if not impossible at this stage. But what speaks to you, man? What gets you excited? What event would make you excited? It could be something easy as like, I don't know, the Arkansas head country, they, uh, they make you take selfies at different spots. You know, it's like, you can just find a f cool ways to make it fun. Yeah. Okay, so that is the number one. Number two is contact Bikes for Death to help you promote it. Number three <laughs> is do not overlook the local community. This is something I don't speak about a whole lot, but is essential. It is, if we have a, a table, this is one of the legs that supports the table of all of the events that we do. And that is before you sell it to the bike community, sell it to the local community. Get the people that are in the community involved, activated, interested, excited, and bought in to what you're doing. You're in their hometown. This is their community. You wanna bring an event to it? Get them bought in, you know? And some ways that I try to do that is I try to send uh, thank you cards to like a lot of the gas station attendants or a lot of the attendants along their route. I send them like their pictures. It's like, if we got a picture of you, we'll send you pictures. I friend them on Facebook. They like my pictures. I like their pictures. I am trying to be a part of their community. I want them to know that I care about them. I want them to know that I care about their place. And that is equal to me putting on a good event for the cyclists that are going to come into the community. Cause I'm playing the long game, you know, yeah. like I don't want to put on a good event. I wouldn't have put on a good event for the next 10 or 20, 30 years. And the only way I do that is by making sure the community is bought into what I'm doing. And they're, and, and, and they're only going to get bought in if I include them. Right. Yeah. And feels respected. Yes. And, and feels respected. You're not littering. You're not treating their gas station bathroom like shit. You're, I mean, you yeah. know, the people that are coming through are being kind to everybody in the community, respectful of private land. A hundred percent. And I will say this right now. And I, this is not a joke to me. If someone comes to one of my events and they don't act right, 
they are not coming back to one of my events. If yeah. they mistreat a gas station attendant, if they abuse the land in some way, yeah. they're not invited back to one of my events. I still yeah. care, you know, you're cool. I don't have any like personal animosity towards you, but what I'm doing and what I'm trying to build is bigger than one person. It's bigger than me. This isn't for me. This is, these events have an opportunity to edify, empower, inspire cyclists, but also to help, man, help local communities in ways that like, I wasn't even aware of when I started these, but what I am finding is that when you mix these cultures, people are walking away. It's like people come to Texas and they're like, they have a certain preconceived notion of what Texas is and what Texans are like. And, and those are right, right? Those preconceived mm -hmm. notions are right. And also there's a lot of really cool people here. There's a lot of great people here, a lot of kind people and every kind of person that walks the earth, we also have here in Texas. And what I'm finding and what I'm loving is that when I get people that come from all over the world, literally not just in America, but Europe, Canada, Latin America, people are coming to my events and they are interacting with the locals way out in the woods of East Texas. And they are coming away with a positive experience. And then I'm following up with the gas station attendants and like, Oh my gosh, that guy with the pink tutu and the Mohawk, he was awesome. And he told us stories for days and, it is a way to bring down perceived barriers, mm -hmm. right? These these mm -hmm. these limitations that we put in our minds. We say, oh, well, you're that way. So this is the way I think about you, or this is the way I think. And they think about it us, and we think about them. We all do it. We're all humans. We're all pattern recognition machines. Our brains are designed to identify what something is and put it in a category so you know what it is. It's not our fault. It's just the way we are. Yeah. But through these events, that's one thing that I'm super excited about is the opportunity to break a little barrier, you yeah. know? It's like, yeah, throw on an event, but um, break down some barriers too, and I like that. Break down some walls. Break Absolutely. them down. Yeah, fuck walls. Fuck them. Fuck them. All of them. All right. Um, so you got a lot of variations of this question. People wanna know about the West Texas Showdown. Do you have any teasers? What can you tell us about the West Texas Showdown? Um, and do you need anybody to write it? <laughs> Thank you, Stephanie Hall. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I remember who uh, submitted this question. And Stephanie, uh, she's also been a guest on the podcast. Sadly, uh, she used to be a Texas resident and now is up in the great state of Vermont, uh, where it's currently snowing. So I hope you're enjoying that, Stephanie, because right now, we're sitting outside in Texas and it's 65 degrees and sunny. She might like to come this way and ride the West Texas Showdown though. So let's tell her about it. Yeah. I'm happy for this question. I have been absolutely blown away by the interest in the West Texas Showdown. I'm super happy about that, but I, like whenever I did the Central Texas Showdown and I went, every other question I got was from somebody asking about West Texas Showdown. On the internet, I'm getting tons of questions about West Texas Showdown, which is exciting. It shows that everybody is equally, if not more so excited about it as I am. I don't have all the answers, so let me tell you what I do know. So as I mentioned at the very beginning of this episode, my goal is to have the first ever West Texas Showdown in February of 2025. I believe that it will 
live in the February month and probably towards the beginning of February, probably the first weekend in February, giving it enough time between that and then where we kick it off at the end of March for the East Texas Showdown, if there's anybody that's trying to do both of those events. Still a quick turnaround time, but we have weather windows and all these things that we have to um, deal with. So February 2025 is what we're going for. Importantly, in order to be able to qualify for the West Texas Showdown, to qualify just to register, I should say, you have to enter and complete either the Central Texas Showdown or the East Texas Showdown. So when I say showdown, I am being specific here. Like you have to do the longer route, not the slowdown or the lowdown. The reason for that is a couple fold. One, West Texas Showdown is gonna be extremely limited. We are dealing with permitting with the Big Bend National Park and the Big Bend State Park. And so it's just, it's much more challenging to get like 100 or 200 people. I mean, that's like, it's just crazy. And I don't even want to do that. It feels more appropriate to have Big Bend be something special mm-hmm. and you have to earn it. So my thought is it's going to be capped off at 50 people. You have to qualify to register by completing one of the showdowns and then you can register and then it's going to be the first 50 that get in and that's how that's going to be. So what the West Texas showdown is going to be is still in development. Um, I referenced how important it is that I work with the communities that I'm um, bringing events to, and I'm doing the exact same thing here. So I am currently working with David Reniger, who also runs Texas Bikepacking, the Facebook group. Um, He is a park ranger out of Big Bend, and I've sent him the routes, and we are currently working to essentially make the best route possible. My idea for the route, I'll I'll give you a brief taste. It'll be stationed in Terlingua, which is not even town, it's a ghost town, which is super infamous in Texas. And if you're not familiar with it, you are in for a treat. Natalie and I are actually going to Big Bend. I've been a lot, but Natalie and I are going for the first time. Oh, you've been to Big Bend. Yeah, Yeah, but it's been a long, long time. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, we're going in like a week. So she'll get to see Terlingua for the first time as an adult at least. But we're gonna start in Terlingua, then we're gonna do a loop which this will go north so the route will go north and it'll do a big loop in the big bend state park come back to terlingua then it'll go into the national park do a big loop there come back into terlingua and then there's a death loop of course of course out of dirt terlingua and the reason that i'm formatting in this way one is to get both uh big bend and the national park into this picture the second reason is because it's such a remote, desolate, it's a desert. There's not resources out there. There's not gas stations. There's not water. Having Terlingua be centrally located allows for you to have more access to food, water, resources, a hotel, mm-hmm. your car, whatever it is. So that logistically will make it more accessible just by doing that alone. Mileage I'm going to leave off for now. The, the format I'm going to leave off for now, you know, I am going to try to be creative with this one and, and make it as cool as possible. And I have a, a bunch of ideas on how we could potentially format it. But for right now, we need to finalize the route. Once the route is finalized, then I can start kind of formatting what the actual event will look like and what the race format will be. 
So I think that's it. I think that's a good teaser. And Stephanie, if you want to ride it, the answer is yes. DM me. I like it. It's exciting stuff. We're going to start the route scouting a week from now. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we actually are. So I, I forgot to mention that, or I guess I failed to, but um, that is part of this trip that you and I are going on is um, specifically what I'm going to uh, check out when we go is the death loop because I've ridden, I think I've ridden everything else. I haven't ridden it contiguously. That That's a difference, but I've ridden just about every road there is in Big Bend, the state park and the national park. So I'm familiar with all those roads. The part I'm not familiar with is a death loop. So that's the part we're going to go check out when we're there. Let's check it out. Uh, we're moving on to the next topic. The topic is podcast relevant. The first question in this topic is what sparked your personal interest in bikepacking and how did that lead to the creation of your podcast? This is impossible to answer succinctly. I mean, it's such a layered, layered answer, right? It's so many things had to come together in the right way at the right time. And something that kind of bums me out is that I don't remember how I first found out about bikepacking, you know? Like I wish that I remembered exactly I do know that it was the Ride the Divide film, the Mike Dion film. It came out in 2010. And I really think that film, I think this somewhat anecdotally, but being a podcast host for the last five years and talking to people, a lot of people have come into bikepacking as a result of that film. And I'm one of them. So I don't remember who put it on my radar, but it hit me at the right time in my life where I was a cyclist. I, at that point in my cycling quote unquote career, I was gravitating towards more longer distance stuff. So I was doing mountain bike races, but I was doing, I I started doing the endurance series stuff. So like the 40, 50 miles stuff. And then, you know, I did the six hour and the 12 hour races. And I was finding that I was really gravitating and liking the endurance side of stuff. And I felt like I was better at it. I'm not a sprinter. Yeah, my heart rate gets to 180 and I'm like, I need to take a nap or something. (laughs) I'm exaggerating a little, but you know, that's just, Ariel is a sprinter. That dude is a freaking sprinter. I am an endurance animal. Uh, That is the way I'm designed. And I just kind of naturally was gravitating towards that. I spent my life as an outdoors person from a young age, like Weeblos, Boy Scouts, uh, up until an Eagle Scout. Then I was a a scout leader taking other boy scouts into the outdoors. So I've always had like a, an interest, a love for the outdoors. And then I found out about bike packing. So I was like riding my bike more long distance. And I found about bike packing that dovetails uh, the two things that I really love most, which is the out, outdoors and, and riding my bike. So the question was, what sparked your personal interest in bike packing? Which I think you're, you're answering that. How did it lead to the creation of your podcast? So, I mean, that's the second part, right? Like you were a real estate agent. You were in your second marriage. You had two daughters. You're not a podcaster, right? Like you're living a family life. You're living a pretty cookie cutter life. How did your interest in bikepacking lead to the creation of what made you decide I'm going to do a podcast about this shit? And it's gonna work out. <laughs> well, I don't know about the working out part, 
but that's a good question. I also like how you spilled my tea. I've never told on the podcast that I have two ex-wives, but <laughs> I do. I do have two of them, and I have a kid with uh, with both of them. So um, you can edit that out. No, we'll leave it. Yeah. So the question is, and how did it lead to me starting a podcast? It led to me starting a podcast in two ways. One by nature of who I am as a person, my kind of antennas are always open and always receptive to anything and everything. And my idea, my brain never stops spinning out and churning out new ideas. The problem I have in my life is knowing which ideas not to pursue, not having ideas. Having ideas is a problem for me because I have too many and I've historically chased too many of them. So the podcast in many ways is just another idea that I had, but why did it, why did it float to the top? Why did it, why was it more sticky than everything else? The reason why I gravitated to podcasting specifically versus I could do photojournalism, I could be a YouTuber, I could be a blogger. Why did I do a podcast? I did a podcast because I have personally I love them. <laughs> I love podcasts. Yeah. I love listening to them. Uh, they have helped shape my worldview. And, and more importantly, they have helped me understand my own place in the world the same way traveling does. Specifically, I love long form podcasts. I am a naturally curious person and I don't have a lot of tolerance for more surface level conversations, right? Like I want to know the why or the how or whatever, what led up to that, or even to your question right there. It's like, okay, great. But like, why a podcast? Like you're in a marriage, you're in a real estate, all this, but so why a podcast? That's, that's a great question. That's what I want to know. You know, when I, and, and when you hear, people talk in a long form way. You hear them stumble over their ideas. You hear them sometimes get the idea perfectly right. You you see that people are just people mm -hmm. and that makes me feel better about being a person, if that makes sense. Like I've, I've dealt with my mental health issue has been specific to uh, social anxiety. And a lot of that can, you know, I think a lot of, I think podcasts help me understand that maybe I'm not as weird as I thought I was, or maybe being weird is okay. And maybe just being you is okay. And until I started listening to podcasts, I'm like, I was like, Oh, everybody's kind of a little bit goofy or, you know, doesn't exactly say it the right way the first time. Right. And I like that. I get, a, I got a lot of value out of that versus reading a, a book that someone has written uh, and rewritten. You know, the end of one of my favorite books, East of Eden, he wrote like 37 different endings to that book, right? He had people read it. He made sure it was good before anybody else ever read it, which is great. I yeah. love good content like that. But podcasting specifically helped me to understand my place in this world a little bit better. And I like it as a form of receiving information and because of that, I wanted to create my own podcast and, and my motivation for the podcast, like it really was, I wanted to create a podcast. I actually started another podcast called not totally inaccurate, which never saw the light of day. It was not good, but my, my passion at that time was, was more in line with communication 
and this type of content, right? Yeah. And and then bikes became the vehicle like they always do in my life uh, for the podcast. The other part of it um, that I'll touch on briefly is like real estate is great in terms of it's a relatively, I don't want to say easy. I mean, it's super stressful. Not a, like it's somewhat easy for me because I've been an entrepreneur my entire life. So my threshold for uncertainty and my threshold for variations and in income and all these things is much higher than most people. But being who I am, you know, real estate is not the hardest job. I've had a lot harder jobs and the money is good, but I was really unsatisfied from a, like, I just wasn't getting a lot of value out of that job. Like it wasn't providing me with a lot of, oh, I feel good at the end of every day. And, and that's important to me. Like I have to live in this body and this brain and I want to feel like what I'm doing the way that I'm spending my time has value, um, not only in my life, but other people's as well. And I wasn't getting that out of real estate. I was very sick of it. Um, I really disliked it greatly. And I looked as the podcast, looked to the podcast as a way to do something that made me feel good. Literally, like that's the way I looked at it. I was like, I wanna do something that makes me feel good. And I did a podcast. And here we are. And here we are. And I still feel good. Good. I feel good too. In your podcast episodes, what are some common challenges or misconceptions about bike packing that you want to address and clarify? I don't know that I have any really like, I don't know how to say this exactly, but <laughs> I love him. <laughs> Hi, buddy. What you doing? Oh, no. He's coming over here. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> he's tired of all the attention being on the two of us. Yeah. He's interested in Thanks. a little bit of attention, Thanks, right? Kovac. Is this Hi. your AMA? Hi. Is this your AMA? <laughs> what do you want to talk about, Kovac? <laughs> okay. Next. Or this question. I'm trying to remember what it was. Okay. The question is... Oh, the topics. Some common challenges or misconceptions about bikepacking that you want to address or, or, or clarify. I'm not, I don't know how to say this because I'm not the most aware person of what's going on in the bikepacking community at large. Let me give you an example of like what this is like to be a content creator. Okay. Just like I often look at, I often ask myself the question, do I want to be consuming content or creating content? And it's it's usually that simple. It's like, and I, I almost always choose creating content, right? And because of that, I'm not super paying attention to the bikepacking community at large. It might sound a little bit bad, but what I focus on is what I'm doing. You know, like I don't focus on necessarily what everybody else is doing. It, it speaks to what I was saying at the very beginning, like just follow my own passions, follow the things that get me excited. And that is what I try to do. Um, and as a result, I find that I'm not as in tune to everything that's going on in the bikepacking community. Maybe not as much as some of my listeners are, you know, um, so I was going to give an example of what this looks like. So this come ride with me, uh, episode, the series that I was talking about. So 
I'm on my way to go ride my bike. I've got my camera, I've got my drone, I've got my recording equipment. And I'm thinking to myself on the way there, what content do I want to create on this bike ride? Uh, and that's just a common thing that I'm always doing as a content creator. It's like, okay, do I want to take a picture? Do I want to record something? Whatever it is. So I do that. Then I go on my ride. Then I fly my drone. I'm recording stuff. I crash my drone. I got to go rescue my drone. It's a whole thing. And then after I record this hour-long episode on my ride, whenever I drive home, I put I don't put on another podcast. I put on the thing that I just recorded, and I'm listening to the thing that I just recorded on the way home. Then I get home, and I start editing the thing that I get home, got done. Then I take my drone footage, and I start editing that to get that ready so I can put that into a reel. My point is, is like, because of the nature of content creation, it almost isolates you from the rest of the world in some respect. Like I can either spend, and it takes all of my time creating content and creating events and running bikes for death, or I could sit around and consume everybody else's content and, and that's not what I do. So you don't even know what challenges or misconceptions are <laughs> going around in the bikepacking community right now because you're focused on what you're putting out there. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. I I want I want to do what I'm doing the best that I can and I and if people want and people like it, then that is great. And people are liking it. So that's just what I'm going to keep doing. You know, I'm creating events. I'm creating a podcast. I'm getting people inspired. I'm getting people out on bike rides. I'm living healthier lifestyles. Like, yeah, that's my focus is doing what I'm doing the best that I can. And I think that to some degree, I think that it helps me produce a better show when I'm less interested in what the rest of the world is doing and more interested in what I'm doing, you know, and, and what I'm sharing and the stories that I'm sharing and the people that I'm locating and stuff like that. And, um, I think that is one way in which I try to stay authentic to myself and not be, uh, not being influenced by what everybody else is doing. I will say that a couple of my biggest missions are to one, reinforce the simple statement, ride your damn bike. And I don't say it often. Ride your damn bike means, <laughs> well, I say that phrase often, but the part I'm about to say, I don't say often. Uh, what it means is anyone, anytime, anywhere, any bike, wear anything you want, do it any way you want to. I don't fucking care. Ride your damn bike. It's all good. That is something I care about. I care about breaking down any type of perception that you need a certain bike or a certain kit or a certain look to access the outdoors and ride bikes. Bullshit. That you need Lycra, that you need the special sunglasses. Fuck all that. That you need to have the right group of people and be on this team or yep. have these shoes or have a carbon fiber what the fuck ever what the fuck ever that's what we should call that bike is a carbon what the fuck ever exactly <laughs> and i have a carbon what the fuck ever right and so it's not about saying that that's wrong it's about yes that's great and also so is this and also so is that and also so is that and that is something i'm passionate about and i don't know i assume that's a overarching theme throughout the entire cycling community is that there are these kind of preconceived um looks or uh, requirements that are that are out there 
um, that I care about. I care about dismantling that yeah. and making it easy and not only saying, hey, this is for everybody, um, but also creating events, discussing it on episodes, creating content that reinforces the message, this is for everybody, you know? Because I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I was on a Walmart bike and not even directly from Walmart, but like passed down from three cousins that got the Walmart bike 15 years ago, you know, like, and I was riding my damn bike and it was a good time. There you go. And I mean, right, like that, those are some of my fondest memories of riding bikes is whatever, whatever little pink thing with the little tassels coming down from the handle, like get on that bike. Yeah. Just get on a bike. Have you fun. know, I like to, I like to think back about when I were, when I was a child too. And I, riding bikes is fun. Riding bikes gives you your first taste of adventure and exploration, a little bit of freedom, right? And it was so easy. Whatever clothes you were wearing, yeah. whatever bike you had, you just hopped on it and you rode around. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to, that's what I'm trying to promulgate and I'm trying to replicate uh, in my life is breaking down those barriers and reminding us that this is fun. And it's also all these other things. But first and foremost, it's fun and it's for everybody. I fucking love it. Okay. Um, you got a few of these. A few people wanted to know what is the interview or episode that you haven't done that you most want to do? Lachlan Morton. Easy answer. I have to be honest. I have been extremely fortunate and I've been able to interview just about everybody that I've wanted to or, or sought. Lachlan Morton, I've been trying to get that guy on the podcast for two years. I have tried every way I know how. I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but if anybody has an in or a phone number, uh, you know, <laughs> his home address where I can go like send him some cookies or something, uh, I'm interested. I'm trying to get that guy on the podcast. He just uh, released or he's about to release his um, Tour Divide film. I think it's a perfect time, Lachlan, to have you on the podcast to help you uh, tell your story about your Tour Divide. He's one that I'm I'm mentioning it because I want to get this guy on the podcast and like I'm I'm running into a wall. So, Lachlan, what kind of cookies do you like? Yeah, Does Lachlan. anybody know what kind of cookies Lachlan Morton likes? Because we, we've got them in the mail. We're, we're ready. <laughs> The next one is, uh, wait, who do I have on there? <laughs> you want me to tell you what's yeah. on your notes? It's Matthew Lee. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> I had another answer, but I wasn't sure because he's dead. So, uh, But I went with the one that's alive. Good. Uh, <laughs> Let's be realistic. Yeah. Matthew Lee. Uh, Matthew Lee is another person I would love to have on the podcast. He is an absolute OG uh, in bikepacking. He was featured in uh, Ride the Divide, the film that I mentioned earlier. Um, he's also the current race director for the Tour Divide. And he's also, from what I understand, a little bit of a hermit. He doesn't, I mean, maybe not hermit in terms of like never goes outside, but, you know, he's not on social media. Uh, you're not going to get an interview with him. Um, but I like a challenge. So those two are on my list. Matthew, sure. we have cookies for you too, or whatever it is that you like or want. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next question. What has been your biggest takeaway from this year's episodes? Easy answer. Better audio quality. Absolutely. Yeah. Better audio quality. I, 
I think I want to get a little bit more dialed. Actually, I don't think I know. I, I And I'm going to get a little bit more dialed with kind of like the episode formatting in terms of like, you know, uh, what would be a good way? To, like, oh, here's a heartfelt story. Here's a story from, uh, you know, a member of the community that rode this route. Okay, now we're going to focus on the triple crown of bikepacking. You know, now we're going to focus on like the East Texas Showdown, Central Texas Showdown. So like um, live podcasts, ride-along episodes, essentially like all of these different kind of show formats, I'm going to do a better job of, what's a good, like, like sprinkling them throughout the year. I'm trying to think of the right way to say it, but like making the content of the show a little bit more enjoyable from the type of episode that's coming to you, right? Mm -hmm. So instead of getting five episodes in a row that are like all racy, right? Maybe we do like two on the Tour Divide and then we do one on, you know, how to bike fit or a bikepacking basics. And then we get like, you know, I ride the AZT and I take you along for the ride or something. So it's kind of, I'm having a hard time like articulating what I'm saying, but, uh, or what's in my brain, because I'm not saying it. I'm trying to say it and it's not coming out. <laughs> but a better attention to like the the episodes that come out, why the episodes are coming out, the guests that I'm having on the podcast and and just overall trying to be a better steward of the podcast, not how I can do it different, how can I do it better? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so several people are interested in your plans, um, on writing the AZT 300 in April, specifically people are interested in wanting to know, there were a few questions, uh, but people want to know whether or not you have plans to record and share your experience, uh, writing the AZT 300 in April. Um, and if so, what are those plans? Yeah, of course. I'm a content creator. I'm going to take you along for the ride. And I guess the way that looks um, exactly is yet to be seen. But my thoughts right now are that I'll record audio while I'm riding. I also want to try to create a video and record video and create like a little uh, YouTube video from my experience. And then to this person's point, having someone interview me about my experience, I think that's a great idea. Um, I've already talked to Kurt Snyder about coming in on afterwards and us kind of chatting about AZT and about his his um, coaching plan, which I'm using to prepare for the AZT. So maybe we'll just have Kurt interview me and ask me some questions because he's familiar with it. And he's, a, he's an ex-professor. I bet he can ask some good questions. I like it. All right. We're moving on to personal, I think, right? Yeah. Let's hit the personal stuff. Let's get personal. You are in the hot seat. I have to be honest, my listeners didn't get as deep as they could have. But if I didn't known how not deep they were going to go, I would have thrown some personal questions in there. But. <laughs> we might add some just to help. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Come on. When we said, when he said personal, he meant personal, guys. For next year, y'all need to get ready. Yeah. Like, let's get some per. He said he would answer anything. Yeah. So maybe they just don't care. Like, yeah. I wonder if like people are like, they're scared. like, we want to talk about bikes. Yeah, we like, actually don't care. <laughs> we don't care that might be the truth. You. I don't know if they're like, they don't care or they're just too scared to ask, but I'll don't answer be scared anything, to ask. anything, anything. You will answer anything. Yeah. Okay. Well, Maxwell Johnson, he's the first question. Maxwell Johnson is a good friend of yours and a photographer for Bikes or Death. 
And he says, hell yeah, I was stoked to see you stacking up the calendar next year on some big events for you to ride in. Was there anything specific that motivated you this year to make those plans? Love the question, Maxwell, and thank you for noticing. It's a, it is a little bit of a hard question to answer. Um, you know, a lot of things have changed in my life. We're going to talk about uh, health and fitness here in a little while, but um, I would say two major things have changed. One is my life has been crazy for a long time, and I'm now starting to get a better handle and I'm managing my life better. I was able to put some things behind me and that has opened up uh, more opportunity for me to go and, and do some writing. Uh, the other thing that's happened is I'm in a lot better shape now <laughs> than I was a couple years ago. And I'm, you know, interested in using this body and seeing what it can do. Yeah, I mean, and the, the other part of it is, like I said, just being in a better place with a lot of things in my life. Essentially, yeah, I might get into some of the stuff here in a little bit, but um, timing is everything. Life has been hard for a while, and I am now at a place in my life where I can start to reprioritize myself um, on a lot of levels in, in ways that I've been neglecting for years prior. That's the short answer. Yeah. You're taking care of yourself. You're getting focused. You're getting fit. You've been doing that for as long as I've known you. Yep. And I mean, it just adds up that you're signing up for events, that you're riding your damn bike. You're not just fucking talking about it. Fuck yeah. 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 I like to ride bikes too. Yeah. <laughs> for a while, it seemed like you just like to talk about it. I mean, the reality is, is I had to make a choice. Um, and I mean, I guess we'll just get into it right now, but, uh, Let's get into it since they didn't ask anything personal, just go ahead and throw it out I'll, there. I'll get into it in 2020. Uh, you know, I was in what ended up being the tail end of a really, really bad marriage. Um, and right when we decided we were going to get a divorce, the pandemic also hit, it was like February or March of 2020. And so 2020 was a pivotal year of my life as it was for many people. But in addition to, you know, learning how to operate in a real estate career when you can't show houses um, and deal with a coronavirus like everybody else in the world, I was also figuring out how to um, go through a divorce, uh, which was a very messy and ugly process to being a single father, to getting it, setting up a new home life, to establishing all that. Um, while I was doing that, I was also, you know, maintaining my real estate career and I was maintaining bikes for death. And I prioritized all of those things in my life and I deprioritized myself. And I did that intentionally or knowingly, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. it's not a choice that I wanted to make, but whenever I valued everything up and I said, what do I, what, what do I have time for? And where am I going to point my time and attention? Those are the things in my life, my kids, uh, my work and bikes for death. Like those were the th three things that I prioritized and there wasn't enough room for me to take care of myself at the end of the day. And the end result was like, um, I got, in the worst physical and mental shape of my life at the age of 40. That would have been 40. Yeah, 
40, 41. And essentially, you know, what has happened since then, like, I, I will say like the person I am is a person who has always pursued health and fitness, like throughout my entire life. I stepped away in a lot of aspects of my life. Um, man, this is like a therapy session right now. It's like really like re really examining, you know, all these layers of my life. And I guess the, I guess the easy answer is that I, I didn't prioritize myself. And on some level, if I'm being completely honest, I took the easy way out, you know, like, and I, really leaned into, um, alcohol. Alcohol was the biggest, the biggest issue in my life. And I didn't even realize to what extent that it was. Um, but I don't think I ever really lost focus of like wanting to be healthy, wanting to be well. I always felt like I would find my way back. And I was like doing all these other things in my life that I think on some level, like made me feel okay about being me, even though, the real me was like suffering and I was able to kind of mask it to myself by saying, Oh, but look at what I'm doing. Look at the relation, you know, I'm trying to do this for my kids and I'm, you know, working on my real estate career and I'm creating a podcast, which not only benefits me and brings value in my life, but brings value to a lot of other people's lives too. And, you know, yeah, that's, that's the, that's the direction I took and I'm not like proud of it, but um, to your point, you're like, ah, I didn't even know he liked riding bikes. Well, yeah, I, I, uh, I went through a moment, you know, I went through a moment in time and 2020 was a, was a hard year. And in a life I've, you know, I think everybody has had challenges in their lives and I don't want to elevate mine greater than anybody else's. But before the age of 21, I was in jail six times. I, uh, in my teenage years, I was jobless and homeless and had very little direction, not homeless for a long period of time, but, you know, periods of homelessness or unhomeness or whatever the proper way to <laughs> say that now, but I didn't have a house. I didn't have a place to stay, uh, you know, and, and, uh, like living in a car or whatever. And, um, so I've had, I've had my challenges. I've had things that I've had to overcome, but, nothing will ever come close to the challenges that I personally faced in 2020. And I, I don't say it lightly that 2020, uh, was almost the end of me, you know, like I, I didn't know if I was strong enough to withstand everything that I, that I was dealing with in my personal life. And my entire life took a toll from that. And Right now, I'm just trying to dig myself out, you know? I'm You've just been dig digging yourself out. I am out. digging myself out. Yeah, Fuck you've been yeah. doing it for a long time. Yeah, I am digging you've myself out. You've been doing out. it since I've known you. So, I mean, Maxwell, it's a great question, man. Maxwell has dealt with his own. Uh, he's actually a sober person now. Uh, he's a big into Alcoholics Anonymous um, and really advocates for that program and is a great example of somebody who has also turned their life around. So, I appreciate this question coming from Maxwell. And Maxwell, the answer is like, I just, I had some honest moments with myself and I, I stopped making excuses and I started to prioritize the things that really matter. Um, and a big thing is, is myself, right? Like all of these other things matter, but like 
being okay inside my body and inside my brain, like what could be more okay than that? What benefits the people in my life the most? What benefits the podcast the most? What benefits my children's lives the most is me being okay, me being in a good place, me being able to talk to my kids about health and wellness from a real place, from a place of understanding. Um, you know, so the, the real answer is I never should have let myself not be prioritized, but I did. And uh, here I am now. And now yeah. I'm going to sign up for some cool events and go do some cool shit. Yeah, because you're not. I mean, alcohol doesn't have a grasp on you like it did a couple years ago. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> but really, though. <laughs> so oh, that was good. I'm going to podcast. I'm going to take over the conversation for a second. Um, I know that one of the other questions that we got and it, it's in line here. And so I'm just going to go ahead and, and tackle that one while we're here. What, what is the question? Hell yeah, dude, looking fit or something like that. What oh, does it say? That's what it says, it says, what is your current workout nutrition plan? Looking lean and mean. Looking lean and mean. Appreciate that. Yeah. So I am going to answer this because for a couple of reasons, one, it's pretty funny. Like a, a, I've had people come up to me and they're like, oh, I don't know if I can talk about this. I don't know if this is okay. And then they'll be like, dude, what are you doing? you like, you look great, you know? And at East Texas Showdown, I don't know who said this, so I'm not calling anybody out because I have no idea who said this, but I was walking through the Bullet Grill and so I overheard somebody say to their table, holy shit, Patrick got jacked. And uh, I've, I mean, tons of people are like coming up to me and saying, dang, you look good. Um, people on the internet are like, wow, you're looking great. What are you doing? This is a topic that I'm going to address because so many people are aware of it. And it all like dovetails into, you know, what we were just talking about. It is simply me making a choice a couple years ago to, to reinvest in myself, to refocus on health and wellness. All right. So I'm going to answer this guy's question. What do I do? I do everything. I have a really corny phrase that I came up with uh, that I'll share because I'm a corny person who's not afraid of the internet. And that is total life optimization, <laughs> but don't be weird about it. <laughs> I love the laughs. Oh, no. I said it. I said it. Yeah, you did. But what that means to me is like, in my day-to-day -day life, I am trying to optimize everything. That means uh, sleep, water, nutrition, exercise, stretching, relationships, time management, business goals, everything. I say that because people see me and they're like, oh, you lost 20 pounds and you're in shape. And yes, I am and I have, and that's great. And I feel great and it feels good to look good. It feels good to look in the mirror and like the person that's looking back at you. But I really want to address something that I don't, I don't know, I'm sure people are talking about it, but I don't, I think it gets overlooked. Everybody's just like, man, you look great. You have a six pack. I have a four pack, <laughs> but it's almost a six pack. It's right almost there. Six. It's so close. So close. Uh, but like the thing that I was unaware of that I know now is how good I feel inside my body and inside my brain. And I can't tell you like how good that feels. 
and how good of a drug that is. And it's not even something that I have on a daily basis, right? Like in order to feel this elevated feeling, this like high that you feel when everything is in line, when you wake up in the morning and you don't have dread because you're going to a job you don't like, or you wake up next to somebody that you don't really like, or you have friendships that aren't really edifying you and bringing value in your life, or, um, you know, that's just one aspect. And then it's like, okay, well, I need to get my eight hours of sleep and I need to get my water and I need to eat the foods that sustain the lifestyle that I want to have and the body that I want to have and all these things. And then I got to go work out and then I got to stretch and then I got to do yoga and I got to meditate. It takes all of that. But like when you do all that, it's crazy how good you feel. And I don't know who's, I don't even know, I want to get Andrew Huberman on the podcast to like explain to me the science behind what's happening in my body when I do everything. But I don't want the focus to be on how good I look. Um, thank you. But what I want, what I think is important, here's the best way to say it, Natalie. I'm 43 years old at 14 I remember the first panic attack I ever got. Since the age of 14, I have been a victim. I've been, uh, my life has been controlled, dictated, narrated by anxiety. It has controlled my life from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to sleep for the last 30 years. You know this, Natalie. Within the last 60 days, I got off SSRIs. I am currently not using any substances. I'm not leaning into alcohol as a way to numb myself or to whatever. I am not using SSRIs as a way to mask and, and help me manage my anxiety. I am... And SSRIs I are to, and can be good I'm, I'm for gonna, I'm going to give that caveat. Okay. All right. <laughs> Don't good, worry, good, social good. worker. <laughs> good, good, good. All right. Continue. Um, yeah. So anyway, I don't remember exactly where I was, but, um, but yeah, I mean, for the first time in my life, for the, for the first time in my adult life, I now feel, I feel good to be me and I feel like I have the tools and the ability to manage my life without the need for substances. I will acknowledge and I believe strongly that medication is not a bad thing. I think that it, I know that it benefited my life. And if I had gone on this journey and had found that I needed to uh, get back on SSRIs, if I had failed, if I had uh, come to this place, be like, oh shit, it's out of control and I can't deal with this, I would have hopped back on those SSRIs lickety split. So it's not to demonize SSRIs, but, and, and you can use positive life tools in conjunction with SSRIs. So I'm only speaking to my own experience, but it is one way to illustrate that what I have found, and I've told this to you, is maybe anxiety, at least for me, I feel like my anxiety was a result of things in my life that weren't okay. And my body was telling me that it's not okay. And maybe that was 
me not being honest with myself about how much I'm drinking. Maybe it's having relationships in my life that aren't bringing me value. In fact, maybe they're bringing me down. Um, maybe I'm wasting my time. Maybe I'm spending too much time on social media and being influenced in a poor way. You know, like it doesn't, you know, whatever it is I'm, I'm found about myself is that anxiety is actually a tool. It is my body trying to communicate something to me. And when I'm listening to my body and when I'm doing the things that I need to do, total life optimization, but don't be weird about it. I feel good. I feel good to be me. And I, I can't tell you how good that, I mean, I don't know who needs to hear this. I don't know who has lived in their body for 30 years and felt like a stranger who has felt like a, a victim of their own mind. But at least for me, I can say that getting healthy physically and mentally has been one of the greatest and most liberating and most exciting things that has ever happened in my life. And it feels fucking awesome. Yeah, it's good. I could talk about health and wellness forever, but um, what am I doing? All right, I'll answer the question specifically. Everything. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But whenever it comes to working out, I'll say what I do is, uh, and I've been on a, a long journey with fitness and figuring out what works for me and don't work out too hard because you're going to tear a muscle and then you're going to not be able to work out for a while and then you got to rehab it. And I mean, I've, you know, I've figured out my diet and how much food I should eat and what foods I should be eating and all these things. Like it has been a journey, but I'm now almost two years into it and I have a, a much better handle for what I'm doing. First of all, I go to the gym on average four days a week. I usually try to go five uh, or six days, but you know, with traveling and stuff, it averages out to like four or five times a week. And I do push, pull, and leg. You know, it's not complicated. Push muscles, pull muscles on a different day, leg muscles on a different day. And I do progressive weight overload, which means uh, for me, what I do is I do a weight. So let's say I'm like incline press. Yesterday I was doing 120 pounds on incline press. I do 120 pounds, I do 10 reps three times. And then once I can do 120 pounds, three reps of 10 sets or three sets of 10 reps, then I graduate to the next weight. So then I'll go, next time I go, I'll do 130. And I do 130 until I can do three sets of 10 reps. And then I go to the next next weight and it just makes it easy. But I'm always doing push, pull, uh, legs, and I'm always progressively overloading the weight that I'm doing. And when I'm in the gym, I always uh, do cardio. And that's anywhere from running on a treadmill, walking on a treadmill, to uh, uh, doing the spin bike. And the other thing that I've done that's kind of fun is I bought a treadmill and I live on my treadmill. So it has a little desk on there and I'll sit there and I'll work and I'll edit the podcast and I'm just getting my steps in all day long and I'm destroying Natalie on their, on our step competition. Um, I killed days. you the last two weeks in a row. <laughs> I actually killed you yeah. on our step competition. Whatever. The other thing you're doing is you're, like you said, you're prioritizing sleep, you're prioritizing breathing, you're prioritizing anxiety management. Um, you're confronting old anxieties that don't need to exist in your brain anymore. Uh, you're thinking about what you need to eat, not just from the perspective of how to get stronger, but from the perspective of what nutrients you need in your body. And you're thinking about when is it, when is it worth it to drink alcohol? And, uh, when is it worth it to stay up late 
and you're drinking water and you're, I mean, it's not just that you're working out because if you were living your old lifestyle and also working out once a day, you wouldn't look like you look and you wouldn't feel like you feel. Oh, hell no. Yeah. It's all of it. Yeah, it is total life optimization. You're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm dead. I can't. <laughs> but I do. Let's touch on the don't be weird about it part. Because well, it that, makes it weird. It's weird that you say don't be weird about it. That makes it weird. I don't think so. I mean, what I like does that it. even mean? I'll tell you. I'll tell okay. you. It means, it means it's like in my daily life, in my day-to-day life, I sacrifice so that I can enjoy other times. When you and I hang out, we're going to go to dinner. I'm going to be mindful about what I eat, but I'm not going to be weird about it. Um, I'm going to be mindful, like we're going to go drinking. I'm not going to be weird about it though. It's like, you know, then that is where I think balance comes in. And that is what I'm seeking is like, yeah, I want to feel good. I also want to have fun. I don't like, um, yeah. So trying to find that balance, but you're absolutely right. I mean, the biggest part of it was alcohol, like get rid of fucking alcohol. Well, I mean, I drink a little bit, but okay. Let's let's get down to it, Natalie. When our on our second date, you're a social worker. You gave me the the what test? Oh God, I don't. You're I don't remember the name. Okay, of it. you gave me. You essentially gave, what the how does the DSM classify alcoholism or yeah DSM? Uh, you just said alcohol it. addiction. What I read to you was the DSM's classification of alcohol use disorder, mild, moderate, or severe alcohol use disorder. But what's funny about that second date is that you weren't even in tune enough to your own drinking that you you didn't even answer the questions. You weren't even able to be honest with yourself in your answering of the questions. Because if you had answered them honestly... Uh, you would have had severe alcohol use disorder. But when I asked you things like, has it ever affected your life negatively in this way, this way, and this way, you're like, no. And I'm like, oh, really? No. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you just, you weren't even, you weren't even in tune at that point to how alcohol was affecting your life. Yeah. No, I wasn't. But even, even lying, even lying to you and myself in that moment, I scored a six out of 10 on the alcoholic scale, right? I was... I was in the top tier of alcoholics. <laughs> you right? were winning. I was winning. Yeah, I was beating a <laughs> lot of people in drinking. And um, man, it, it was it was a mirror. That's all it was. Like, you know, and and just so everybody knows, like you were never judging me. You were never no. like I asked, I you was asked. curious. I wanted yeah. that test. I was curious. I'm a curious person. I was like, okay, let's do me, you know. And um, so you did that as a fun kind of thing. And I, but I took that to heart. I'm like, holy shit. And it's easy to lie your lie to yourself with alcohol. That's a problem with it because everybody's doing it and mm-hmm. it's legal. And every time you go somewhere, everybody's drinking and you know, they're talking about how they got too drunk at home last night. And so you like start lying to yourself and you're like, oh, this is okay. It's right? so socially acceptable. Yeah. And and I so yeah, I was in denial. I didn't even realize how much of an alcoholic or how much of a problem that I had. And it was our second date that really helped tip the scales in me going down. It's like, yeah, I was already in tune to like health and fitness, but I was still lying to myself about uh, where I was at and yeah, that one incident really was pretty pivotal. It was like a turning point in my life. Yeah. No. You're going to try to take credit for that, aren't you? I have no I wouldn't even want to take credit if you tried to give it to me. And Aww. you know that. I know. 
You know that. I don't, I'm not here to change you. I'm not here to tell you what you are, what you need to be, what to do. That's never been what I want to do or who I want to be. Um, I said this on my come ride with me episode that you haven't heard yet. Nobody's heard it, but, um, you held up a mirror, you held up a mirror out of kindness. And I was at a place in my life where I could look at that reflection and not be okay with it. And I think that I like plain speech for that. It's why I'm speaking plainly now, I hope, because sometimes in life we need people to speak plainly. You know, we need them to, not in a mean way, but just be like, no, this is, you know, you're a six out of 10, buddy. You know, and that wasn't necessarily (laughs) coming from you, but by the nature of who you are as a person and you being a social worker, you have the tools to hold up a mirror a little bit. And, um, but ultimately, and you know this, it doesn't matter how many mirrors you hold up and you can tell me to do anything you want to do, which is why you didn't. It comes down to me. Ultimately, I have to be ready. I have to be in the right place and I have to take the action. We don't live together. I got to go back into my daily life and do all the things because I'm self-motivated and I'm self-interested. Um, And the other thing that I said on my other episode, the Come Ride With Me one, is that this is a battle that I care about because this is my life. I'm invested. I want to feel well in my body. And um, I'm never going to lose this again. This is a battle that I will not lose. You know, I know what it's like to go to the bottom. Um, I've been able to dig myself out and I'm I'm not going to lose this one again. You're winning. I'm winning. Uh, man, I'm 43. I'm going through a little bit of a midlife crisis. Like I'm one of—I didn't realize how egotistical I was until I, until I started getting older. And the looks are a part of it. It's like, yeah, I want to look good too. I do. Let's be honest. I do. Yeah. I, and I want to have longevity. I want to live for a long time. I want to be healthy. I want to ride my bike forever. I want to go hike mountains until I'm 80. You don't do that if you don't start building a muscle mass now, right? Nope. Like I got to build that muscle mass now so I have it in the future. So it's a multi-layer. It's everything. It's total life optimization. <laughs> but don't be weird about I'm it. I'm not being weird. <laughs> you, you just made it weird. Oh, Natalie, you got to go. I got to go. Let's stop it. I more than have to go. Okay. Where are we starting? From the beginning. <laughs> we're just starting over. Let's re- let's redo the whole thing. <laughs> Please and thank you. Um, I don't know how I feel about the first time we did this, Natalie, because uh, I don't know if it's your fault or my fault, but we we talked a lot. <laughs> I think if you add up who did the most talking, we could figure out whose fault it was. It was mine. Yeah. Yeah. I looked at it pretty clearly. If you look at the audio file and your audio file had a lot less audio than my audio file, it was like big clumps of uh, audio Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that I have to edit. I just asked the questions so well that, I mean. You did ask some follow-up questions though. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thorough. All right. Well, so we are back um, at Natalie's house. This time we've transitioned into the living room, the dining room, because it's raining outside. I had no, no intention or no idea that this episode would run that long. I literally told Natalie that we would be like, I don't know, we need like an hour, hour and a half. We went three and a half hours and we didn't even finish. So uh, we're back. Let's finish this thing up for once and for all. And then I can then I can get to fucking editing it. <laughs> or let's just do this every day, all week. 
Um, yeah. So where did we leave off, Natalie? So I asked the question about some common challenges and misconceptions, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I gave a really odd answer. <laughs> do you want to redo that one? Uh, I don't know that I do. I think I don't. I don't remember what I said because I haven't edited this episode yet. But I don't know if I mentioned that. What What it comes down to is my head is down and my attention and focus is on what I'm doing, and it's not. I'm not as peripherally aware of everything going on in the cycling community. I remember I was trying to give that example where on the way to go my, on my ride, I'm thinking about what kind of content I want to create, create on the ride. I'm creating content on the way home, on the drive home. I'm listening to it. When I get home, I'm editing it. And it's, it's, it's interesting that as I've um, grown into the bikepacking community and I think become a part of it, as far as like a media standpoint, I become less and less in tune to what's going around me simply because I'm so focused on what I'm doing and I have a lot on my own plate. So I don't know if I came across as if I didn't care or that I was being dismissive of it, um, but that's certainly not the case. But at this point, I'm fortunate enough to where like enough people are emailing me, enough people are messaging me directly or tagging me on Instagram. Like I'm becoming aware or I am aware of, I guess, what I'm aware of and that's it's been working. So I'm going to keep doing that for now. Yeah. So you're so busy creating content that you're just not as in tune as people might think to any discord or tensions in the bikepacking community, any misperceptions about bikepackers or conflict or drama or whatever. Yeah. Without trying to sound too egotistical, like I am trying to create the trends. I'm more focused on what I can do. What, what am I doing? What can I do and how can I improve it? What stories do I want to share? What things do I want to highlight? And I mean, I think in general, it's just best to kind of stay in your own lane, you know, focus on what you're doing. Don't be as worried about what everybody else is doing. And, and I, I, there is a level of that that's intentional, to where I don't want to be influenced by what everybody else is saying or what the cultural norms are or um, as far as, as they relate to um, the bikepacking community at least. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I kind of keep, keep my head down and it is partially because I'm busy and partially it's been intentional. Like when I started the podcast, I never, I just kind of made a rule to not listen to other cycling podcasts not that I'm afraid of the competition. It's like, I don't, I just don't want to get their narratives into my head. I don't want to get their show style and their cadence into my head and then feel like, oh, I need to do it like that. Or, oh, they did that really well. And I need to do it like that. Or I should ask the question that way. Like, I, I like the idea of just being me, you know, like. I hear you saying that you are not following trends in the bikepacking community as closely as people might think. But I guess I want to press you to think of, you know, the question is, what are some common challenges or misconceptions about bikepacking that you aim to address and clarify? So even if you're not following trends and you don't know what's going on and you don't know what the latest drama is, I mean, is there anything that you could, I I see your notes here. So your notes (laughs) says ride your damn bike. And so I'm wondering if, you know, what about misconceptions about what you have to buy, what you have to wear, how much money you have to have, what kind of bike you have to have? I mean, is there any way that you'd like to answer that question or would you just like to leave it at, I don't know what's going on? (laughs) Fair enough. Fair (laughs) enough. I, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, this is why I need somebody to like push back a little bit because I, I don't know. I think I, I talk so much. Sometimes I like 
cut myself off, but um, I do need to do a better job of like actually articulating and finishing my thoughts. So let me answer your question. There are some things that I care about. One of them is one thing from the very beginning has been um, an interest in uh, elevating women in our sport as uh, I've I was raised by a strong woman and I have two daughters and I just naturally, uh, I like women. I think they're great. <laughs> and, and like in this space, right? Like in a world where if I can do something good, if I can, uh, that's why I started the podcast was to do something that made me feel good to make a difference, even in a small way. But yeah, like thinking about my own daughters growing up, I like the idea of helping to push that needle and showcasing that women are strong, tough, capable, resilient, all of the things, right? Like this, these are not attributes that are reserved to men. And I do love that bikepacking and endurance sports specifically are a landscape in which we see women can come into an endurance sport and do well, you know, um, there's, there's a lot of people that have an issue with Lael uh, and I don't know, you know, exactly. I hear some rumors and that's another thing where like not paying attention. Like I know that, I know that there's some resistance towards her to put it maybe lightly, but I, I've always been a huge fan of Lael because she, she is one of the first people that really inspired me whenever I was looking into bikepacking and I've always been mesmerized and impressed and inspired by her who goes out and competes against a field, gender aside. And she has won races against all genders. And I think that is fucking awesome, you know? You know, and I, I don't know where people draw a line with what their concern is with her or why they have a hard time um, embracing her as a member of our community. But as far as I'm concerned, um, for me personally, and also like talking to people in the community, she is an important figure and not, not just for bikepacking, but I think specifically for women uh, in sports and women in bikepacking, like she is one of the people that we look to and say, yeah, if Lael can do it, maybe I can do it too. And yeah, so that's, that's an area women in sports, women in bikepacking. That's a, that's an area where I feel like I can elevate those stories. I can find them. I can share them. And I think doing that alone, like that's all, that's all I do is I'm just trying to find the stories to share. I'm not trying to create the narrative. It's more just like, okay, let's find the cool stories and the core, cool people and talk about that. It's that is extended towards, um, BIPOC and people who are in, unrepresented categories. Uh, I mean, George Floyd happened in 2020 and, you know, the podcast was started in 2018 and that, that was significant. You know, that was another significant cultural change. And I felt that change personally. And that's something that I've been more aware of and trying to promote and promulgate through bikes for death. Ariel, who I hired is, is black and he runs uh, the Black History Bike Ride, and that's that's an organization that Bikes for Death is going to be supporting more and working with more. Um, I know we're doing like a live podcast uh, with the Black History Bike Ride, and um, they had a film. They have a emancipation film that they they rode this uh, this route, um, and and we're learning about Black history as they rode. They did this last Juneteenth um, in 2022, and their film has been getting into all these uh, film festivals. And they asked me if they if I would come and and moderate that uh, the Q and A portion when they present their film at the film festival. And so, um, 
Yeah, those are a couple areas that I think that I care about and that I think that I can do good by simply providing a platform for people to share their stories that are doing amazing things in those communities. Um, and then the other one is, like you said, ride your damn bike, man, is, is really breaking down any barriers of feeling like you need to be fit, fast, another F word, whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever adjective you want to insert, um, uh, feeling like you need to have the right bike. You need to be fit. You need to be fast. You need to have ridden a thousand miles or whatever, you know, like, and I do think that bike packing in general does a pretty darn good job of getting that one right, at least better than some other sports that are a lot more strict. It really is a diverse group. And I do think by and large, we celebrate that. And that's just a note that I want to keep hitting and will always hit. We are better when there's more of us, you know, a big concern that a question we got a lot of is about cycling safety, right? That's a big concern for every cyclist. And one of the ways we can help feel safer is when there are more members of our community. When more of our neighbors also ride bikes, they're going to be more cautious and considerate of cyclists out on the road. Or the more people that ride bikes, now there's more families that have a daughter or a son that rides bikes. And so when they see somebody out on the road, they're going to be more cautious and courteous about that. So growing our community only serves all of us for the better. And we cannot be gatekeepers and we cannot sit on some iron, some golden throne and dictate who can come and what they need to look like and how fast they need to ride and what bike they need. Fuck all that. I reject it on every level. Um, so yeah, those are a few areas. That's a better answer. That's a better answer. I like it. Yeah. Well, and also I do all that other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> all of it is true. Yeah. All all, it's true. all true. Cool. I like it. I like it too. Okay. Thanks for I don't remember if I asked you this. Um, okay. I think I, okay. Well, here we go. Uh, what has been your most interesting or your favorite interview or interviews? Ah, uh, yes. Yes. Um, you did ask me this one, but I'm going to take a redo on it because I didn't like my first answer. <laughs> I was going to say that. I was going to say, I did ask you this, but you didn't like your first answer. So you wanted to redo it, but I didn't want to call you out, but you called yourself out. So cool. I think... Yeah. Everybody knows who I am and I'm the person that will call himself out <laughs> easily. Um, yeah, I gave a poor answer the first time. I forgot. I actually came up with a really good answer for this and then I forgot what it was, but kind of going in order. And we did talk about how we don't know if the question is, you know, in the last year or an all time. And so I'm just going to answer, uh, I'm going to answer some of the episodes that stood out to me over the last five years with the preface that I don't like answering this question because I genuinely value and appreciate every single person who has shared their story and, and contributed to this podcast and to this community. And it's like, I was just saying like, everybody is great, right? Like bring everybody in. So on the heels of that, it feels weird to be like, yeah, but these were the best ones. However, I make everybody else answer the question. I get this question a lot and I am going to answer it because um, y'all are making me. So the first one is Greg Hardy. First episode I ever did, episode one of Bikes for Death was Greg Hardy with Rock Geist. And the reason I'm putting that one on the list is because number one, it was a good interview. But number two, I didn't know it was going to be a good interview until it was over. 
And I remember after that interview, driving home and thinking to myself, I think that went pretty good. I, th I think that went good. I think that went good. And I just remember like, kind of like convincing myself like, oh, maybe I can do this, you know? And that feeling of like, oh, there, you know, cause it's something I wanted to do. So I was hopeful that it would work out. And I think I mentioned at some point uh, on this episode that there was another podcast I started prior to this one that never saw the light of day. So I entered into that with some, some doubts and like, oh, I don't know if I can even do this. But it turned out, I think to date, like I, I've listened back to that episode, like within the last year, I like listened back out, of back out of curiosity. It's still a good episode. Like I'm like, yeah, you did a good job, Patrick. And Greg did a great job too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was there too. He was, he was fine. He was fine. <laughs> but I guess I never really worry about somebody else's ability to represent themselves. Uh, it's, you know, I'm always obviously the most concerned, like, did I do a good job? Can I do this? And episode one uh, was good for all those reasons. Um, the next episode that I'll mention is the first episode I ever did with Lael Wilcox. And that was episode 10. And as a huge Lael fan, unapologetically, I, I, my only goal, like my big, big goal when I started the podcast was to one day interview Lael Wilcox. I was like, if I could just interview her career over, I'm done. I will hang on my mic. I never need to do it again. And I was in Arkansas, Northwest Arkansas on a family bike trip. And it just so happens that she was there presenting a film of hers at a film festival. And I don't know, I do not know Lael. I followed her on Instagram. I sent her a DM, asked her if she'd be interested in uh, recording an episode. And she said, like, she said yes fast. It wasn't even like a day later. It was like within five minutes. She responded. She like, sure, I'd love to. And started making plans, met with her the next morning. And I mean, it was like meeting Michael Jordan. Like in my worldview, the coolest sport on the planet is bikepack racing. The best fucking athletes, the best fucking athletes. And one of the best athletes in all of bikepack racing and endurance sports ever, Leo Wilcox, huge fan. That felt like a huge, that was, that didn't feel like that was a huge accomplishment and milestone in the podcast and in my own personal life. Like life goals, check, done. I'm good. Episode so, 10. Episode 10. So that was, that was just insane. And I think, I think episode, like once you land a guest like Leo Wilcox, if I'm being completely honest, I think that that lets other big names know that they should also maybe too pick up the phone whenever Bikes or Death calls, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, if Lael's on Bikes or Death, maybe Sofian might want to be on Bikes or Death. And ever since I got Lael on, I've been very fortunate to pretty much be able to get any guests that I want except for Lachlan Morton. <laughs> yeah, her kindness that day and willingness to meet with you when you weren't a big name yet in a way, it sounds like legitimized you. You know, you've said this before, but she did you a big favor. Yeah, she did. And I will always be her friend and her ally. And it's why I'm a little bit outspoken on her behalf. And it, and partially it's because she, she was there for me when I was a no, nobody knew who I was. 
I had like 500 followers on Instagram. There is no reason for her to sit down and talk to me. Yeah. But she did so without hesitation and she did so with grace and kindness. And she has remained a friend to me this entire time. And having been in this industry for a while and knowing people who know her and have also had experiences with her, they all echo the same thing. This is a good person, you know, a very kind and a nice person who says yes to obscure podcasters that no one's ever heard of. And that's the kind of person I think she is. And I think that's fucking cool. And I appreciate it. Next one is Chris Picard. I won't spend too much time on it because I already talked about him uh, earlier, I guess. But Chris Picard lights a fire under me every episode. The guy is an absolute legend. I have so much respect for him as a person, as a content creator. I don't know how he fits in everything that he does and is successful in every arena that he enters, it seems like. I mean, he surfs, he's a bike packer, he's an ultra distance runner, he's a world-class photographer, videographer, rock climber, dad, husband, father, everything. And the guy seems to be handling all with grace. Uh, and I'm I'm amazed by him. And every time I interview him, it's a, it's a huge honor and it lights a huge fire under my ass. Next one I'm gonna say is Jerrica. Most inspirational episode ever. Oh, I shouldn't know the episode right offhand. I wish I did. That would be good. A lot of times I know the episodes, but for some reason that one's escaping me. But um, if you don't know, Jerrica Sterling is the person whose husband passed away from cancer. And he had the dream, the wish, the goal of completing the tour divide. And on his deathbed, he asked Jerrica if he if she would ride the Tour Divide on his behalf and spread his ashes from Canada down to Mexico. And she was not a cyclist. And she said yes. And she fucking did it. You know, and that episode I'm I'm very proud of, mostly because I gave Jerrica an opportunity to share her story. And I know because she reached out to me after the episode that it was meaningful to her and that it was a gift to her. Like she too also has that episode forever and she can send it to her friends and she can listen to it whenever she wants. And I didn't know it at the time, but that was something that she needed. And that's, you know, that makes me feel good, you know, that that's there for her too. Yeah. And then, then obviously like that episode, uh, it won the most inspirational episode of the year and um, is just one that people talk about and and w- with good reason. It's a sad story, but a very powerful, very emotional, very inspirational story. Yeah, on every level. So absolutely incredible. I mean, her story is unbelievably powerful and beautiful and so inspiring. Like what a human. Romantic. Yeah. I mean, that was a love, oh. you know, that was that. I love. know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I think yeah. they're still in love. Like she was just posting on Instagram. I guess they do a Chick-fil-A day for Kyle. Kyle is her ex, uh, sorry, not ex-husband, her deceased husband. And I, I, I don't know the tradition, but uh, she was just sharing on Instagram the other day, like every one of her friends went to Chick-fil-A and ordered food and then posted and tagged Kyle. And I don't know what the significance is, but she's not letting that die. Like she still cares about that man, you know, and, oh, it's tough. It is tough. I, yeah, I feel bad for her. Um, the last one I'll mention is Sophie on Sahili. 
Sofian is just an absolute legend. He is, I mean, if you don't, I'm sure most people listening know who Sofian is. The guy is endlessly inter- entertaining. When he's on bike races, he's singing Lionel Richie. He's just entertaining uh, on tap. You just, you all you do with Sofian is just cue up a little question or suggest a little something and he's going to take it and tell a fantastic story. He's articulate. Um, and he is one of, if not the best bikepacking ultra racer, uh, in the world. Uh, he's certainly in that conversation, just so charismatic down to earth, cool, fun, interesting guy. And yeah, I've enjoyed every single conversation that we've had. And speaking of Lael, I really appreciated his whenever I was doing the whole Lael asterisk situation when Lael got caught up in the EZT FKT controversy, and I hosted you know several people to talk about what happened, and one of those was Sofian, and he brought a really well thought out and and good position in a good way. Like he didn't draw a hard line in the sand. He he encouraged conversation he encouraged perspective and those are the kinds of conversations i like not well you got to be this way you got to ride your bike this way you got to look this way you can only do it this way and no let's have a conversation you know let's listen to each other let's throw out ideas let's figure out where we're right where we're wrong where we can expand our views whatever they may be and um yeah just uh, i i just like him a lot he's a good guy yeah. You mentioned uh, the one with, you've had a couple of interviews with Sofian, right? Three or four. Okay. okay. Yeah. You said the interview with him was one of your favorites. Was there one in particular that you're referring to? Or are you referring to the one that addressed the Lael asterisk controversy? Yeah. Yeah. The one that addressed the Lael contro- okay. yeah. uh, asterisk controversy. Um, I've enjoyed them all. I think that one stands out to me because during that time, it was a very, very heated conversation. A lot of people were taking a very hard line and it was like, it was like team Taylor or team whatever from whatever, I don't know, Twilight. (laughs) Remember Twilight (laughs) when you had to pick a team? It was like, you're either on team Taylor or what's the the other vampire's name? (laughs) You weren't into Twilight? I would be embarrassed if I knew it. Um, You're the right age. Uh, yeah, but not everybody my age was into Twilight. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I saw the movies when they came out in the theater, but I don't. Yeah. I wasn't a super fan or anything. Well, me too. We're in the same boat. I knew more than you do. So I, yeah, I know more than you. I do. mean, you're referencing it right now. Yeah, that's yeah. how much I care. <laughs> yeah. I got a tattoo about it. Uh, yeah. Anyway, but it was at a time when a lot of people were drawing hard lines in the sand. Minds were made up and. I appreciated him coming into that conversation, that landscape in our community, and the way that he addressed it. And I think everybody appreciated that, including me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good answer. Okay, we asked about recording the AZT. Do you want me to ask anything about bikes and gear? (sighs) Can I just talk? Yeah, please. This is your podcast. Okay. So we did get quite a few questions about bikes and gear. I think everybody at this point will know that this isn't my favorite topic. Like I like bikes and I like gear, but it isn't the thing that gets me the most excited. I get excited about the people. I get excited about the places. I get excited about the food and the vistas and everything like that. And, but I do love the gear and I don't talk about it enough. So 
I don't even know what people want to know because people are like, what's your favorite gear and what bike are you riding? And, you know, they're pretty open-ended questions. Like, you know, I can't obviously go through my entire gear list right now, but I think there's just a few things that I'll highlight quickly. One of them is my relationship with Panorama Cycles. Um, So I am the U.S. sales rep for Panorama Cycles, and I want people to know that I chose that company. I contacted them because I want to ride their bikes. I want to promote their bikes and what they're doing. And the reason why is is a few reasons. One, the owner is a single father of two daughters. Uh, I'm also a single father of two daughters. He's been running that business for seven years, so it's still relatively a new business. He's running it in a very a very intelligent way that I really respect. And I won't go into all of his business model uh, for the entire internet. But right now we see so many bike companies that are having to offload bikes because they bought way too much inventory when COVID was surging and everybody was buying bikes. And so all these bike companies bought bikes and now they can't sell them. Now they have too many. And now they're letting employees go because they they have too much overhead and they're having to drop sponsorships of athletes because they spent too much money. And I respect Simon, who is the owner of Panorama so much because he didn't buy into all that hype. He kept his inventory where it needs to be in a place where he can manage it so that he is not in a bad position right now. And I just, I like him a lot, right? So... When I'm doing business with people, I'm looking at like who are the people I'm doing business with and what do they believe in, what are they promoting, and what are they selling. And the other things that I like about Panorama is that uh, they make adventure bicycles. Their, their tagline is backcountry bicycles. Everything that they make is genuinely unique in each one of the categories. For example, the gravel bike that I have is the Panorama Cata Den. It's a carbon uh, gravel bike. What's unique to that bike is that it has a uh, internal routing for uh, dropper post. It also has internal routing for dynamo hubs, which I don't think there's another gravel bike on the market that has internal routing for dropper seat posts. I'm sure there are some with uh, internal routing for dynamo dynamo hubs. So yeah, I mean, those are just a couple examples, but like many of their bikes can be ridden belt drive, single speed, geared. Um, they have much more utility than a lot of bikes in their categories. And it's not like major things, but like little attention to detail. Um, the components that they use are wisely selected. I think their price points are really competitive, which is something I appreciate that they're affordable and more people can get into them. So yeah, I'm a big fan of Panorama. I've chosen them because I believe in what they're doing. I like the bikes that they're making. And the thing that I failed to mention, and one of my favorite things, if not my favorite thing about the company, is that they are truly leading the bike market as a sustainable bike manufacturer. They're doing that in two ways. One, they're the only bike company that is offsetting all of their business with carbon credits, and they're the only one that is recycling. So all their carbon waste, they don't throw it away. They partner with a carbon recycler to recycle all of their carbon so it can be reused. Um, it is the only bike shop or it is the only bike company I'm aware of that are doing those two things. And they don't have to. 
because nobody's doing it, there is not a precedent that's out there that says, oh, well, this is the standard and you need to meet it. They are creating a new standard and I want the rest of the bike community to step up and I'm sorry your margins are tight, but you still need to buy those carbon credits. And I'm sorry that you're busy and you can't drop off your waste, but you need to go do that too, right? And so they are they are leading the way as a small company. They are leading the way in that important category. And as outdoors people, this is a no-brainer, right, um, to support a company that is also mindful of their footprint. So... I'm not even talking about the gear. I'm just talking about the company. The two <laughs> bikes I have are the Panorama Kata Den, which is my gravel bike. I love it. And the one that I just ordered is an exciting and brand new uh, bike from Panorama. It's the Torngat Tai. It is the first titanium bike that they've built. And speaking of uniqueness, this bike is super unique because it it's the only one I know of. I don't even know if there's a bike that competes with it. It is designed to be anywhere from a mountain bike up to a fat bike. So you can run like a 29 inch by 2.4 inch tire all the way up to a 26 inch by 4.5 inch tire. I believe it is the only bike on the market that is filling that niche. And I love that, right? I want my bikes to be, have multiple utility to it. So when you have a bike that I can run as a mountain bike all the way up to a fat bike, I dig that. And it can be belt drive, it can be single speed, it can be all these things. So it's a very versatile bike. And I'm really excited to uh, to have that in my stable. The last piece of gear that I'll mention is my affinity for Rockgeist. I was a big fan and a customer of Rockgeist long before I ever reached out to them to be on the podcast uh, because they make great stuff. And I... I uh, also like Greg, the owner. I like the company. I know that he um, has trying to bring all of his manufacturing, all of his employees, not only to America, but to Western North Carolina. Um, and he's done so at great expense. And, you know, he also supports a lot of important uh, uh, other like organizations and donates money to causes like they're very active in our community and they make a great product and they're good people. And um, yeah, so just a couple of the relationships and, and some of the products that I use. But yeah, in general, like with those two companies, I'm pretty brand specific, but also those relationships, I can I can run a salsa bike if I want to. Like Panorama is not going to get mad. Raw guys won't be mad. Like I have other bags on my bike. I've used Old Man Mountain stuff. Um, I have another bag company that I really want to remember his name right now. Farewell. I have a farewell bag. My front roll bag is by Farewell, which is a small company based out of uh, New Mexico. Excellent stuff. You should go check them out. You know, I, I, I'm not, I don't have to run those things. I'm promoting and choosing those products and they're people and companies that I've sought out, not that have like knocked on my door and said, hey, please sell my stuff. Like, yeah. I'm talking about that stuff because I really do believe in it and I use it because I like it. Good answer. Thanks. Okay. Okay. Let's get personal again. Please. Um, so a couple people had this question. That's interesting. What a specific question for <laughs> a lot of people to have. Okay. Uh, if you could do a weekend bikepacking trip with any racer, influencer, regular cyclist from the scene, et cetera, who would it be and why? Ultra romance. Ultra romance. Uh, 
okay, why? <laughs> yeah, I'm, try, I'm trying to, I mean, it's like you either know who he is and you like automatically get it. And if you don't know who he is, how do I, how do I explain to somebody who ultra romance is and why? I, I mean, if you didn't listen to the episode this year, episode 141, that one uh, most entertaining episode of the year, um, he divulged that when he moved to Austin, he was living there, he was a Chippendale dancer and he was <laughs> not being silly. This is a man who has endless stories and, uh, you know, I mean, as an example, like on the first episode we ever did, like I asked him, like, do you shower? He doesn't shower. How does he stay clean? He uses essential oils and he takes fire baths. You know, he's dousing himself <laughs> in fire. And I know for a fact from people who have gone bikepacking with him, it's not uncommon that he will be fully nude and dousing himself with fire. And, you know, he's just a fun guy. Like he's just entertaining. I've had the pleasure of, so I, in uh, Atlanta, LAJ, uh, uh, Georgia, I should say, and Mulberry Gap, I rode bikes with him there. I shared a fire and some marijuana uh, with him. I've had him on the podcast twice. So I've gotten to know him a little bit. And he's he's just a cool dude. Like, he is funny. He is charismatic as a motherfucker. Like, that guy's got char charisma coming out of his booty hole. And, uh, yeah, if I'm thinking about, like, who do I want to go on a bike ride with? It's ultra romance. He's going to, he's in shape. He is going to take really good pictures of you. <laughs> he's an excellent <laughs> photographer also. And he's, he's a very wise person, like outside of his humor and his charisma, which he has. I don't know if it gets lost on other people, but the guy is absolutely a history book whenever it comes to our sport where cycling has been, where it's going, where we're at now. Like he just, he has well-informed thoughts and ideas and opinions and he presents them in a way that I find appealing. Where is a uh, ultra romance living right now? Is it Austin? Is that what you said? Oh no. He used to live in Austin. He's up in Connecticut now. Okay. Connecticut. Yeah. Sounds like you might have a trip to Connecticut on your uh, docket this year. Maybe one year. So He's running a, uh, he, he started his own company, uh, a sewing company where he makes his own bags and they rehab this old uh, factory. It's super cool. But my, my dream and my, one, of, one of my goals, I mean, I don't even think this is a dream. I've talked to him about it. I think this will definitely happen, but I'm going to go up there sometime and I'm going to spend a week or a weekend seeing his factory. I want, I told him last time I talked, I'm like, dude, I want to, I want to see it. Like I want to go and see the operation and ride some bikes with them do the whole thing the one i would mention the one that it will never happen is uh is my call yeah yeah that's a, that's the bike ride i'll never go on or the interview that i'll never get but my call and Lael wilcox matthew lee you know, these are the names when I first, first, first was introduced to bikepacking through, you know, Ride the Divide. These were the people's careers that I followed that I latched onto for whatever reason and that really inspired me. And Mike Hall's passing, I think, hit everybody really hard. And yeah, it's always a bummer. Like, I, I think I might have got a chance to meet him one day, you know, if he was still around. And yeah, so... Good answer. The one I the one I won't go on, but wish I could have. Okay. Okay. Um, 
I like this question. I think it's an important conversation to have as a parent and how and why and we seek balance. Uh, the question is, how the heck you travel so much with two daughters? <laughs> I love this question too. I love it. Um, and I'll try to explain it succinctly to the degree that I'm capable of. Um, one way that I will say is that I prioritize travel. You and I both do actually. And one way that you and I actually are very similar is that we live our day-to-day lives pretty modestly with frugality, with intention, because we are saving for big trips, you know? And that's so like, I don't go on a little, like a lot of like little trips, you know, for the podcast I do, but whenever I'm thinking about like my own recreating and going on a trip, I'm saving up, you know, I'm banking those days and, you know, you and I are planning a bikepacking trip in Oaxaca for next fall. Well, we're starting that now a year in advance. Like we are planning right now for where we're going to be a year from now. Mm-hmm. And that is what it takes to do that. The other factor with this equation is like, I am twice divorced. I do have a daughter with each uh, ex-wife. And so like, uh, when I was creating, you know, going through the whole like custody agreement thing, I intentionally built myself in. Basically, I, I have a five and a half day window every other week. And within that five and a half day window, I'm a single guy. I'm, I don't, I'm not a parent. Well, I am, but you know, like I, you know, don't have my kids. And so I kind of, during the rest of the weeks, like I'm just at home living a pretty boring life, you know, podcasting, going to the gym, riding my bike, taking care of the house, laundry, I mean, whatever, just normal stuff. And I intentionally don't live a very exciting life in my home life, but I get all that through podcasting trips and then, you know, trips that I choose to take for fun, recreation, uh, vacation. And I'm able to do that because I absolutely prioritize it. Yeah. Yeah. You spend a lot of time, money and energy and thought on how to make it happen and how to do it responsibly. And yeah. 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 Responsibly is a good part of it. Like making sure like my kids are in a good place and my work is in a good place and all that stuff. But again, that's why I start planning a year in advance or well in advance to, to be able to do that. So those trips don't happen easily. And like a lot of things in life, there's a lot of sacrifice that happens behind closed doors. And so if someone's just looking at Instagram, they may be like, oh man, that guy's like going everywhere. Well, yeah, like we've been on some cool trips. I go and do cool things, but my day-to-day life is pretty boring and I don't spend money. Like I, I'm very frugal and I'm very mindful of my time and how I'm spending it. I'm banking all that so I can go and do those things. Yeah. I think it's so important for parents to give themselves permission to go be adults sometimes Mm. um, and to prioritize that and to find balance. And, you know, I reject this narrative. I'm a single mom and like all the way single mom, like there's no other parent in the picture. Uh, And I reject the narrative that once you have a kid, you need to devote a hundred percent of your mind, body, and soul to parenting. I mean, it's, it's all we do when we're at home and we all deserve to uh, prioritize getting away as adults and being who we are outside of just being a parent and nourishing that part of ourselves. 
we could have a whole nother podcast on that because it's it goes deeper than that. Like if we are sacrificing who we are for the benefit of our child, one, it's not doing them any favor because their parent isn't getting what they need out of their life. Absolutely. Two, you are becoming way too dependent on that relationship with your child to the point where when they move out at 18, what are you going to do? Who are you? Yeah. Who are you without that kid? Because for the last 18 years, you gave up everything to be their parent and what's left. Yeah. You know, like you have to maintain some sense of who you are and continue to chase the things that bring you happiness and joy. Because if you don't, when they're gone, it's going to be a lot harder to find it. And you want your kids to see you chasing yeah. happiness and joy. Absolutely. You want them to see a platform for what that can look like and what they can do for themselves. Right. You want to give your kids that, that example of yes. go chase the things that make you happy. I was talking to Lila, uh, my 14-year-old daughter, just the other day about this exact same thing and like why I do this. I mean, part of it is this is what makes me happy and this is what helps me be a better father. And also I want you to see that you can go anywhere. You can do anything. You can have any job. You can visit mm -hmm. anywhere. Like the world is open to you. Yes. And my example is part of what will help to inform that. And if I just sit at home like a bump on a log, what have I taught my kids? Right. It doesn't land the same when you say you can go anywhere, do anything. Right. If if they don't see an example of that from their own parent. Yep. Yeah. hundred percent. Again, you and I could have a whole nother podcast on oh, this yeah. subject. <laughs> <laughs> we'll table that. We'll talk about it at dinner. Okay. Good, good, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, next question. What is your biggest advice for a newbie going into their first race or rando? I'll quote Natalie on this one. You, when you did your first Rando, the Ozark Rando that was 120 miles and we did 132 for fun or something like that. <laughs> you gave yourself permission for everything to go okay. You gave yourself permission to lean into fun, to happiness, to playfulness, and to not embrace the anxieties, the concerns, the worries. And I think there's really something there. Like I could just say, just have fun. And that's a part of it, right? Yeah, go have fun, but give yourself permission to have everything be okay. You know, have give yourself permission for, give yourself permission to like, if things go wrong, that's also okay. You know, yeah. I think we can take ourselves a little too seriously. And I think that we can rely, we can hang too much of how we feel about ourselves on how well we did something or if we weren't able to accomplish it. And I, it just in my life, I reject that. And I truly believe and lean into all experiences. Good. I can learn and grow from everything. And if everything goes great, then great. Then I learned that I can do that easily and it's fun. And I had a good time, but if things go wrong, that's also okay. And I hope that we're fostering a community within cycling that allows space for people to not be rock star athletes. You know, I know that's the message that I'll promulgate. And I can guarantee that if there's anybody listening that wants to come to one of my events, that will absolutely be the case. And we will absolutely celebrate you whether you win, lose, or draw. Like it just doesn't matter. We celebrate people out on bikes doing cool things, pushing themselves, trying to be their best, having a good time, smoking weed, taking pictures, whatever you're out there to do, great. You know, so 
Maybe the advice is find out what your personal motivation is. Like, what are you there to do? And then create the mental framework or the space to set yourself up to accomplish that, you know, and let go of any narratives that you think might exist about how you should perform. I don't know, Natalie, like what was your thought process going into the rando? I'm kind of quoting you right now, but. Yeah, you're putting me on the spot again. It's difficult for me because like we talked about, I do struggle with kind of that. And it's probably just like culturally ingrained in me, that performance-based, those ideals of like, you have to perform well in everything that you do. You have to be ultra efficient. You have to be really good at everything that you set your mind to. And I struggle to let that go. And so, you know, I hear your advice and I love it and I want to embody it a little bit better. (laughs) Uh, But going into the rando, I, I was just trying to have conversations with myself that, it is okay if I don't finish. This is a huge, huge effort. And there really is value in just being willing to challenge myself to this degree, being willing to push my limits and see how far I can push them. And I'm going to get something out of this. And I did finish and I felt like absolute hell for like two weeks. (laughs) I mean, like I couldn't walk very well for a couple of days. I pushed myself honestly, maybe a little too far on that ride. And so it's hard. I mean, I want to be able to say it's okay to, but I did say when we were riding bikes um, and I was worried about this going wrong or my knee acting up or something happening so that I couldn't finish or so that I got injured or so that it went too slow. Um, And I remember the advice that you're echoing. I think I said on a bike ride, getting ready for the rando, I said, you know, when I'm thinking of what if this bad thing and that bad thing, and what if this bad thing, um, I have to also remind myself to think, what if this good thing, you know, uh, what if it all goes okay? What if we have a good time? What if I finish? What if it's fun? And Yeah, I think when you're all nervous and anxious and flustered, that's normal and okay and healthy and probably everybody is in their first big event. What if it goes well? You know, a quote that you turned me on to, and there's an article that goes along along with it, but the the quote is, um, this is your life. You're going to want to know how it feels. And what I like about that quote is that it's not just talking about the good times. It's talking about the bad times too, or the hard times or the scary times. And that's something I've tried to embrace, you know, like going into the rando for you or just like other events is like, if you're scared, if you're anxious, like it's okay. Learn to be okay with being out of your comfort zone and become more comfortable with that, you know, and like, don't run away from these feelings of fear, like learn how to work with them learn where they're coming from, learn how you can have fears and anxieties and overcome them. You know, like this is your life. Pay attention. You're going to want to know how it feels on every level. And the better you're in tune with your life, the better you're able to navigate it and learn how you're able to deal with situations, whatever they may be. So I think we maybe answered the question, maybe. But yeah, yeah. Be yourself, ride your damn bike, have fun, give yourself permission to for everything to go well, give yourself permission for it to go terribly and that you can learn from that and you can come back and you try again. And that's fine. 
I've put my failures on the internet. When I try to drive 475 miles and it doesn't work, it's going on the internet because I don't have a fucking ego and I truly do. Well, everybody has an ego, but I believe in the value of that. I believe in the value of failure and I am totally fine with it. I don't love it. It's not what I'm seeking, but I've lived long enough and I've seen the circle of how this all works. And it's like, no, it didn't work great, but I learned a lot about why it didn't go great. I learned what I what I could do, where I'm at with my fitness level or where I'm at mentally um, or whatever it is with any given case. And now I have things that I work on. I have action items. It's the same thing after the rando. You walked away from the rando and you're like, okay, I need to get a little bit more serious about my training. Like when you're going into <laughs> Mid-South, you're like, I am not doing that again. Yes, I know I'm tough. Cool. I checked that box. Yep. <laughs> I'm super tough. Uh, but also I don't want to be in that much pain and I want to be able to enjoy it. So what do you need to do now to be able to put yourself in a position so you can do 100 miles in March and enjoy it? And it'd be hard, but not be crippled for two weeks after. And so you learn, you know, and that's that's great. Yeah. Like, I get excited when I get to learn something new, you know? Yeah, it's exciting stuff. And you said be okay with fear, but I would even go so far as to say that if it's something that you love, whether it's surfing or riding <laughs> your bike, um, it's not just being okay with fear, but seeking it out to some degree, right? Like go and find it, go and get it and overcome it, move through it, sit with it. Yeah, don't be a prisoner to your own fear. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great, great thing to touch on. And it's hard to do. I mean, I talked about my own anxieties earlier in this episode, and I have certainly leaned into anxiety and fear far more often than I think that I haven't, if I'm if I'm zooming out and looking at the entirety of my life. But that's why I'm speaking, hopefully, from a more informed position. And I'm like, no, you don't get anywhere by being a victim of your own emotions and your own fears. Like, you just stay trapped. And the only way to overcome it is to just go and do it. And it is scary and it's hard, but that's okay. Like everybody is doing scary and hard things, or I hope that they are. Yeah. It's better. Everybody you. who's growing is doing scary and hard things. Everybody who's growing is. Yeah. 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 Well said. Okay. Good advice. Um, as a bike packing enthusiast yourself, could you share a memorable experience or journey that has had a lasting impact on your perspective on bike packing? Whoa, that's a deep one. <laughs> and you were prepared for these questions. I intentionally I intentionally didn't dig too deep into them because I I didn't want anything to come across too canned. All right, read the question again. Okay, as a bikepacking enthusiast yourself, could you share a memorable personal experience or journey that has had a lasting impact on your perspective on bikepacking? I think the most obvious answer doesn't necessarily come from one experience, but is informed by all of them. And I feel like a broken record, but there is something so valuable and meaningful when you can be fully self-sufficient, exposed to the elements, you know, powered by your own body. If your bike breaks, you fix it. If your tent blows down, you repitch it, you cook your own food and then you get back home and that that feeling is empowering like i just don't know how it couldn't be empowering to know how self-reliant you can be and then the other takeaway there is how little you need to truly be happy 
And when you remove all these distractions from your life, you're able to be more in tune to the world around you and to yourself. And I think that's an important reminder in a world where everything is so easy and we have so much abundance and we have so much luxury and we have so much convenience that we are not giving ourselves the opportunity often enough to be self-sufficient, you know, to really rely on yourself to fix the lawnmower when it breaks or whatever, right? Like we just call somebody for everything. But bikepacking is an area where if you're doing it kind of according to the ethos of bikepacking where you're solo self-supported, um, and if you're not there right now, that's okay. We all work to there. So it's not like you got to start at, you know, Uber level and, and everything, but that's kind of the goal, right? Is, is, Hey, I can get myself out there. I can handle the elements. I can feed myself, take care of my hygiene. That's important. And then I can get myself home. And that's a good feeling. If I was going to mention one, because I, I want to try to answer these questions a little bit more, uh, targeted one trip. Oh man, there's a couple. I did a trip in uh, Colorado. Um, this was back in like 2017, I think. And I live at sea level and we were riding up from 9,000 feet up to 12,000 feet. That was a difficult, just physical challenge um, coming directly from sea level and then hopping on a bike. Like it's like, okay, can't breathe. For the first time in my life, though, I experienced altitude sickness, which is something while I've been up in the mountains plenty, for some reason this time, it, it really hit me. I've never had altitude sickness before and was in a really weird place because I hadn't, I hadn't experienced it enough to know enough about how concerned I should be. I know you're supposed to get down elevation. I mean, it's sometimes the only way to fix it, like if you can't break, it's like when you break a fever, what is that called? When the fever breaks if you can't pass through pass uh pass through that that initial phase of the altitude sickness at some point you just have to go back down to a lower elevation and i i was very sick very very sick and i don't know it was a weird thing i was like 50-50 but i remember i was like okay if it gets any worse like i'm going to go down if it gets any worse and it like never did it was like pretty bad but it never got like super bad and i just laid in a hammock and stared at this beautiful view, and I actually have it tattooed on my right my right shoulder. Um, I have a picture from laying in the hammock while I was waiting for this uh, altitude sickness to pass, um, and it eventually passed to like two a.m. and uh, rode home, and it was all fine. And I don't even know why that one stands out as like. I, it's just an example of like learning to rely on yourself, like being in those situations and not having Google to like tell you what to do, but just needing to really listen to your body and being in a maybe not life or death situation, but a, a situation that could have health consequences. And you're like, okay, what do I do right now? And fuck me if that isn't being alive, yeah. you know, like that is like, okay, what do I do right now? And I like, I mean, you were talking about danger a little bit. I don't like putting myself in dangerous situations, but a quote that I have said on the podcast before is adventure starts when things go wrong. And I try to lean into that. It's not like I'm looking for things to go wrong, but I like to be tested. You know, I, I don't want to like, I don't know. Sometimes I put my, it's like, okay, I'm going to ride 475 miles and I know what I'm getting into. But the things that I like are kind of like another one that happened when I was in West Virginia 
my ex-wife uh, planned the route and she planned a route that uh, went on a fire road down a mountain or, or like a utility easement. It's like a power line and there was no road and we had a wedding to get to and we were out of food. We were out of water. We had uh, my cell phone had like 2% battery and hers had like 11% battery. I mean, we were so ill prepared and I completely blame her. We used to fight all the time. We used to fight all the time because I would plan routes and then she would just complain and complain and complain and complain and complain. I was like, fine. This time you're planning everything and I don't like, I don't want anything to do with it. Like you're just going to plan it and I'm going to go and we'll see how it goes. And this is, <laughs> this is what I got into was this situation. Um, and it's hard to describe on the internet or especially on just audio, but to get off that mountain was fucking gnarly. I had to go bushwhacking, going down this stupid steep mountain and eventually uh, navigate my way to a road. And then I had to like go to this place where there was no cell phone service, charge my phone, get cell phone service. I got us food. And then I had to drive a car and like go find her on the mountain. And I had to drive through like all these trespass properties, like literally all these signs driving, driving up a mountain at night in West Virginia, sign after sign after sign that says, turn around, no trespassing. I'm not fucking kidding. Turn around. Like, I'm not kidding. Like these signs were like getting very aggressive. And I get to the end of this road at the top of this mountain. There's a gate and there's a house. And I'm like, fuck, my wife is on the other side of that gate and I have to get her. What do I do? I knock on this door at, it was, I don't know, nine or 10 o'clock at night. I knock on this door, scared out of my fucking wits. And they answer the door and they were the nicest people either uh, ever. They were like this spelunking club from Canada that comes every year and they do spelunking and they had all the maps and I told them the story and they were like, here, this is how you find where you're going. And I found her and she was fine and everything worked out and we went to the wedding. Um, but I love those. You know, it's like, I don't want to sign up for that, but they're good stories. <laughs> and you learn from them. I learned from them. Yeah. yeah. Don't, uh, don't go bikepacking with Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> I you just divorced to, her. <laughs> you have to put it out there that she planned that route. You had to. You well, know? that's what happened. That is what happened. Yeah. If, if, it, if I had planned it, I would say that. I have no yeah. ego around it, but that is exactly what happened. And I'm going to say that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. I'm curious, like, this is the question that somebody thought of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like it. It's just. This is what they want to know. This is what they want to know. <laughs> Not which one would you get, but okay. What bike-related tattoo would you never get? Yeah, this is kind of a fun question, and I did think about it. And, like, I will never get a chain or, like, a chain ring or a bike tire, um, any of those that you see. And if you have one, great. I don't fucking care. That's your body. You can do whatever you want to do, and I don't you know, it, it doesn't matter. But like, for me, I have my own aesthetic that I'm going for with my tattoos. And I do have, uh, I do have a couple like, you know, my style would be like, Oh, I went on a bikepacking trip. And I took this picture when I'm like, at, you know, dying of elevation sickness. And I took this picture and now I want it tattooed on my arm. So it's not directly related, related to cycling, but it reminds me of a trip and a moment. Uh, one of my relatives, Dottie Farnsworth, was a famous cyclist back in the turn of the century. And um, I have her tattooed on my leg. And then I have my Bikes for Death tattooed on my right forearm. 
And um, I might get some other bike-related tattoos. I'm sure I will throughout my life. But yeah, the ones that are just like, oh, a bike tire tread or like just a chain or just a chain ring or something like that. Um, not for me. Okay. But if you have one. If it's for you. Yeah. Hell cool. yeah. Yeah. Go bikes. Go bikes. Let people know you like to ride bikes. I love it. All right. Um, I think we're on to final thoughts. Um, that was good. That got personal. I like it. Uh, next year, if you guys could come with a little bit more personal questions, we could make it even more fun. Oh yeah. Uh, but, uh, I think we are at final thoughts. Do you have any final thoughts? No, I've said too much. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I've said enough. Uh, I, I have one or a couple maybe, and I'll keep it brief, but like, I am never not grateful for the position that I'm in. I don't know. I'm nothing but grateful. Like I, I, this is the coolest thing ever. I fucking love this so much. I love what I'm doing. I'm only pursuing the things that I love, the people that I'm interested in, the stories I'm interested in. I'm creating the events that I want to create and the community is responding. And it's like, holy shit, you know, that's like, that's super awesome. And I appreciate everybody who contributes in any way, whether you're just a listener, just, not just a listener, whether you're a listener, whether you've been to an event, whether you support on Patreon, tell your friends, it doesn't matter. I appreciate everybody who has been a part of the journey for the last five years. You know, five years I've been doing this and it it's just cool. And I really appreciate it. And the next thing and last thing I want to say is I want to extend a sincere apology to everybody who has messaged me and I haven't messaged them back. I feel bad about that. I don't like that, but like, I I don't know what to do about it other than hire somebody else to help me like manage emails and manage messages and, and all this stuff. Um, it's not that I never respond to anyone, you know, I try to keep up with those, but like, it just sucks. Like I, I have a hard time keeping up and I get a lot of man, I get people that write me like pretty heartfelt emails and, you know, I've got them starred and I need to get around to emailing them back. And I think part of the problem is if someone writes me a heartfelt email, then I like want to respond in kind and that takes more time. And anyway, I don't really have a good excuse, but I do want to just say that I appreciate everybody uh, who's been a part of the journey for the last five years. And if I, if you've reached out to me and I haven't responded, I genuinely am sorry. I genuinely care. And I really appreciate the messages that I get. I do read them and sometimes I don't get around to responding to them. And I, it is something I want to get better at and and try to figure out a way to like manage those better, but in a way that's like authentic to me and actually me actually responding to people and not just like, thank you. And, you know, and, and kind of zoom off with my life. And so that always weighs on me that I don't do as good of a job as I'd like to do. And so I really just wanted to say thank you. I care. I read them. They mean so much to me. I mean, more than you could ever know. And uh, I appreciate it. And if I haven't responded to you, I'm sincerely sorry. But I appreciate it. And thank you. And I'm glad that you're there. Wonderful. Good final thoughts. Thank you. Uh, This last question is from me. You talked a lot about your goals for 2024. Uh, for Bikes or Death. And kind of, we took a look back at 2023. We looked at what 2024 might look like. Um, I'm curious what your hopes and dreams and goals are for what Bikes or Death is doing in 2034, uh, zooming forward 
10 years. Uh, what is Bikes or Death doing from a community engagement standpoint, from a podcasting standpoint, from an event standpoint? Uh, what is what are your goals for the bikepacking community as a whole over the next 10 years? Um, and the second part of that question is what is your ask, if anything, from your listeners and from the community to help us get there? Excellent question. Thanks. Look at you. You're trying to steal my job. <laughs> Man, she's good. She should host the podcast. I'm the podcaster You're today. You're the podcaster. That is a great question. And it's something that I probably don't think enough about. Much like I keep my head down and I just focus on what I'm doing, I kind of do that also with the future and 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 where this is going. I can tell you that this year, and specifically towards the end of this year, my mind has started to think more about exactly where are we pointing this ship? Where do we want to get to? And how do we get there? That's part of why I hired McKinsey and Ariel to help me accomplish the things that I would like to accomplish. What it looks like, I hope, is very similar to what it is now. I hope that it is me talking to people, sharing stories. I hope that it is me going out into the community more, going out and meeting people where they are in their home, in their country, at the event. Um, the more in-person interviews I can do, uh, the more live podcasts I can do, um, those really resonate with me. It's something I'm super passionate about and I would like to spend the rest of my life talking to those people. You know, like I am definitely in this for the long haul. And so I want that to never change. Like I want it to be me running this ship. I want it to be me. Uh, I'm creating the job that I want for myself and I want to keep it, you know, like I, I'm not creating a company so I can build it up and sell it off to the highest bidder. I'm building this in a way. And if I was going to do that, I wouldn't make myself so central. Like at the, at this point, if I go away, like the company just fails yeah. and that's fine. <laughs> like I don't, <laughs> you know, but I mean, it's kind of like, you know, I'm aware of the fact that like bikes or death could maybe be bigger and I could try to grow it and maybe sell it one day, but that's just not where my mind is. Like I'm trying to create the job that I want for myself for the rest of my life. So I think that's important to touch on and, and the podcast being absolutely integral to that. I think I just want to keep on the trajectory that we're going. I truly, truly believe in slow growth. I've been an entrepreneur since I was literally in my teens. I mean, I started my first business when I was in my teens and I've been running businesses or starting businesses or selling businesses or whatever ever since. And I've learned from that that I want to grow this in a sustainable way. I've done it deliberately with my events. I start with 50 people. The next year I add 100. The next year we do 150. Then we do 200. Like every year I'm I'm starting here. I'm surveying people. I'm learning from those experiences. I'm learning from my own ability to do them. Like whatever it is, like I'm growing Bikes for Death as fast as I can, but also being mindful of trying to make it sustainable. There... I don't know if I want to share that quote. I've shared too many quotes. I'll skip that one. And then the other thing I, th I would say is like, I want Bikes for Death to have the greatest impact in this community as possible. We are going to grow our events. We are going to put on bigger events. We are going to put on more events. We are going to find ways to tell stories uh, more better. <laughs> Thank you for laughing at that. Uh, 
you know, I'm looking to find ways to share stories in the best way possible. Video is a, is a big interest and there's a lot of opportunities that we could do there through, um, I don't know. I have a lot of ideas that I don't even want to share because I don't want people to steal them, but I want Bikes for Debt to keep on the trajectory it's going. It's growing at a good rate. I'm happy with how it's going and I will continue to pour everything, everything that I can, every resource, whether it be financial or my time, my resources, my friendships. Um, I will be pouring that into Bikes for Death to continue to create this job that I ultimately want for myself. And the bigger Bikes for Death is, the greater impact it can have and the greater reach it can have. And I'd be lying if I didn't say that I cared. I care that when I'm on my deathbed that I feel like I left something behind. There's a song by Sean Rowe that I like. He's like, he just says, I mean, the tagline is like, or the chorus is, uh, leave something behind. And um, it really resonates with me as like, yeah, like I want to do something with my life that is bringing me value and also ripples through other people's lives and brings them value. And I want to feel good when I'm on my deathbed. I want to feel like I contributed something and, or maybe not deathbed, maybe if I'm 80 or maybe I'm 65 and I climbed a mountain, I'm sitting on top and I'm reflecting on my life and I'm, and I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good about what I've done, the way I've spent my time, the company that I built, the people I've employed, the people I've talked to, like I'm internally motivated by my own compass to like run this company well, because it impacts my life on a personal level. And I care about the way that I feel in my own body. So I try to run this company in a way that is representative of me and is representative of the type of company that I would be proud of, you know? That's a great answer. The second part of my question is when you're on your deathbed or 80 <laughs> and sitting on that mountain or whatever you're doing uh, and you're feeling good, your impact has rippled through the community. You've created value in other people's lives. How did the community help you get there? What is your ask from the community to help this thing keep going for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years? That's a great question. And as an entrepreneur, as I look around, um, you know, Cycle East, a bike shop that's been around for 10 years, just closed its doors. Um, Hope, Hope Cyclery, after I think they were in, uh, they were a bike shop for four or five years. He was doing his thing for 10 years or 11 years before that. Um, Jared from Hope, they just announced that they're closing. And these are two like cornerstone bike companies that like, are pretty well known and, and, and valued in the community and you see them go away and you see this happen time and time again. And I, I've seen it not only in the bikepacking community, but any business community I've been in, you show up to a restaurant that you love and they close their doors and like, what happened? You know? And so I guess my ask would be for the community to determine how much they value what I'm doing what myself and my team are doing and to contribute in a way that is reflective of how impactful it is in your life. And that's going to be different for everybody. And maybe also you need to consider your own finances and <laughs> you know, you're financially able to, you know, don't empty your bank account and give it to me. Um, but there's a lot of ways that people can help 
the show. I mean, they can, they can contribute directly. They could, um, send a company my way and say, or, or, you know, talk to Phoenix lights and say, Hey, Phoenix, I listen to bikes for death. And I think you should, uh, have them advertise, uh, or you should advertise on their podcast or, um, tell your friend about the show. Whenever I post something on social media, you can reshare it. You can leave a five-star review on iTunes. You can send me a DM and say nice things about me. Uh, and I might not respond, but I will. <laughs> it will be meaningful to me. Everybody's level of contribution, I think, will be different. And it'll be different for those reasons I touched on. And I don't think that it's the specificity that matters. I think the point here is like, if you value something, then prove it to whatever degree makes sense to you. Because these things don't, whether it's my business or somebody else's business, they don't just happen. And without sounding like I'm playing my little fiddle here, as much support as Bikes for Death has received, and I'm grateful for all of it, nobody has contributed more financially or more time than I have. I have beyond extended myself financially to be in this position. And at this stage at Bikes for Death, I'm only looking to make it sustainable. I am not looking to be rich. I just am passionate about this and I want to find a way to do it sustainably to where I can pay myself, I can provide for my daughters and I can hire people and I can pay them a good wage and show them that they are valued so that we can continue to do what we're doing. Um, and if that's important to you and you value what we're doing, show me. That's a great ask. Thanks. It was a great question. Podcast over? I think so. Yeah. I was about to ask you how we wrap this thing up, but that's a good. Yeah. I mean, we're five hours in, this is a marathon <laughs> episode. Um, but uh, this we is wrap an it endurance up. sport yeah. after all. It is an endurance sport. I should have said this at the very beginning. Maybe I will, but cue it up on a long bike ride, like a really long bike ride. Yeah, like a really long <laughs> Yeah, It would be great for that. I think the podcast is a great way for if you're on a long bike trip. I mean, I, I download an audio book. It's like 30 hours long. Like just give me some content to listen to. And I know a lot of people queue up bikes or death when they're on bike trips. Like they'll tell me, they'll be like, dude, I, and they'll tell me what episodes like, dude, I got these 10 episodes saved and like ready to go. And this is what I'm going to listen to on the tour divide this year. And I mean, that's fucking cool in itself. Like people are, yeah, it's just the whole thing's cool. Um, I think, I think I tell people what to do plenty. I think you should tell people what to do now. Um, I think the only thing left to say is to go ride your damn bike. Amen. Podcast over. I just wanted to thank you for doing this. I really appreciate you taking your afternoon and being late to your work Christmas party to ask me questions. So it's a little bit less awkward for me. Thank you. You did a great job. You're a great podcaster. Well, thanks. And you're welcome. I'm glad we got to have a bonus hangout this week. This was fun. All right, everybody, that is it for today's episode. And that wraps up and concludes 2023. It's been an absolute heck of a year, big year of growth for Bikes or Death, a big year of growth for me personally, and I'm feeling like for the first time that there is some solidity coming to the foundation of Bikes or Death, and I really feel like we're creating somewhat of a launching pad, and I think for those reasons, I'm more than ever excited about this new year. I've already recorded the first episode of the year, 
and I'm excited to tell you that Sofian Sahili will be our first guest on, in 2024. He recently posted a Instagram ca caption that the graphic was of all of his wins since 2019. And then the first line in his caption was, so where do I go from here? And there's a lengthy caption that is associated with that post. If you want to go back and uh, check out his Instagram profile, you can read. He made a couple posts about uh, this topic, and you can read those and kind of get a get an idea of what our conversation is going to be a re revolved around. Uh, but for now, I'll table that and just let you know that 2024 is going to start off with an absolute banger. As I mentioned in today's episode, Sofian is one of my favorite guests. And this episode was no different. I've got several other podcasts already lined up and already scheduled. And I can guarantee you that the start of the year is going to start off with a big bang. And I hope that continues for the rest of the year and beyond. All right, everybody. Well, again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for playing bikes with us. Thank you for being a part of the Bikes for Death community. I can't believe it's been five years. As I mentioned in today's episode, I am never not grateful to be in this position. I truly appreciate everybody who contributes in any way to this community, this podcast, our events. And if you'd like to help Bikes for Death meet its goals for 2024, a great way to support the show is over at patreon.com forward slash bikes for death. You can sign up to be a sustaining member for as little as a dollar a month, and that'll get you access to the new series coming out, Come Ride With Me, and you can follow along as I prepare for the AZT and other bike adventures that I'll be going on, in addition to any other things that I might want to share with you in that format. Another great way to support the show is through our affiliate links. You can find them over at bikesordeath.com, and underneath the stores tab, we have all of our affiliate links Many of them include discount codes for you, and all of them include a little kickback for Bikes or Death. So if you're doing a little bit of shopping in the outdoor or cycling space, our links are a great way to support the show. But mostly, I just want to thank you for being here, and I'm really looking forward to playing bikes with you, riding bikes with you, and talking bikes with you in the new year. All right, everybody, let's wrap it up. Until next year, you know what to do. Go ride your damn bike. Damn. She nailed it. It was the middle of the night You grabbed your knife and you held it tight The sounds of beasts kept you awake The sounds they made kept you afraid In the morning you packed your bike Memories forgotten from the previous night You rode faster than ever before Was it your imagination? Merely folklore. Fear turned into strength as you pushed further. Every pedal stroke stronger and firmer. Your bike feels weightless. Your legs aren't tired. You think to yourself, just a few more miles. Bikes. Oh, death. Bikes. Oh, death.